1: Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Four back of Colorado and they made it a one-goal game The Tarasenko he shoots they score they've tied it up it's the bailout at ball arena the Blues have tied it again 4-4 four, four, the score 56 seconds to go and Robert Thomas has pulled the Blues out it was Tyler Bozak that got an assist on the Pat Maroon goal two three years ago he scores Tyler Bozak in overtime you can bring out the Zamboni the St. Louis Blues are coming home and they're bringing the
0: avalanche with them alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kiley we are live at Enterprise Center in a place that frankly I didn't anticipate we would be at here for game number six And I am thrilled that we are back. We are back! Coming up here in about 10 minutes or so, you will hear from David Perron, his comments pregame out here at Enterprise Center. Alex, what are you expecting, my man? Oh, I'm expecting... The, the
3: the doors to be blown off this building tonight. I'm expecting the Blues to skate with Colorado. I'm expecting goals, and I'm expecting a game six victory.
0: So you're expecting a hockey game. That is what <laughs> that, I am expecting Was that as, as cliche well. as you can ask for this one? Coming up here in just a <laughs> little bit, Craig Barubi is expected to meet with the media here at Enterprise Center. We just watched the morning skate. Just a quick update on what we saw earlier today during the rush lines. Jeremy Rutherford tweeted him out. We were able to watch it live as well out here at Enterprise Center. Corey
3: Krug playing. He's not.
0: Oh, oh, Brandon Todd is with so. O'Reilly and Perron. Buchnevich, Thomas Tarasenko reunited once again, and it feels so good. Torobchenko is on the fourth line. With the third line, Shin oh, and Kairou oh. and Toropchenko moving up to the third line. Moving on up, moving, moving on, on up to, to the, the third line. That's good. The That's better line. than what I was going to say. Barbashev, Bozak and Walker are your fourth line. Letty is with Pareko. Mikola and Falk are paired together in your second pairing. And then Scandella and Bortuzzo are your third pairing defensively with Husso in net tonight in game number six. Husso. Ville, who so although Charlie Lindgren <laughs> we're watching right now My man is is flying <laughs> on this the extra this skaters for the team are going through what is essentially a three on three right now and or two on two I guess and charlie lindgren has made two unbelievable saves <laughs> one with his so face far. yeah one was in his face
3: so have no fear blues fans if they need him he is available charlie and ready
0: lindgren is indeed here so the biggest thing that i'm looking for tonight alex as we're waiting on craig Barubi to speak to the media live here at enterprise center i'm looking for that pack mentality to show up once again Doug Armstrong spoke about this. I think this was a year ago now, about how the Blues and the abs have such a different way that they are constructed. And here's what he had to say. We'll talk on the other side of this comment about what it means for tonight's game.
2: We don't have an answer internally for McKinnon or or McDavid or Crosby or Ovechkin these guys are our number one overall picks or top picks and the way that we have to build our team and the way we have to continue to do it is by by believing each other supporting each other and understanding that uh individually we're, we can't get it done we have to do it as a group
3: i'm sorry the blues do have answers for those guys his name's ryan o'reilly bk found a way to shut down nathan mckinnon in the first four games didn't beat Sidney Crosby well that's fine it doesn't matter <laughs> they switched things up a little bit and Sidney Crosby well he got punched in the face by Nico Mikula we all know what happened but hey Blues beat Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers Blues beat
0: Alex Ovechkin in the Washington Capitals they've got the answer his name is Ryan O'Reilly he does make things difficult and you could tell in the first four games of this series that Nathan McKinnon was really frustrated and couldn't seem to find any time or space going up against Orion O'Reilly and going into game six, you need O'Reilly, but you also need guys like Braden Shin and Robert Thomas to step up. You need that secondary scoring to reappear. And that was the single most encouraging sign that we saw from game number five, is that those guys started to get involved offensively. Torpchenko, we talked about him getting more uh, reps now with the third line. He showed up as a guy that's going to drive directly to the net and create offense for other guys. You saw Robert Thomas getting involved offensively. Vladimir Tarasenko had probably his best start to finish game of this series so far. I thought it was probably Buchnevich's most impressive game so far in this series. Honestly, the guys that disappeared were Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. And that's a good thing in a weird way. I wanted to see the Blues find a way to win when they couldn't just lean on those two guys. They couldn't just lean on their power play in that game because the power play, frankly, didn't get a whole lot of opportunities to perform at a high level. So if you can see more of that in game number six, that's their route to victory. It's not a hat trick from a single guy the way that it was for Nathan McKinnon in the Avs in Game 5. It's all of them finding a way to contribute in their own individual ways. That's the way this team was constructed. That's the way it's got to happen.
3: This is how they beat the Minnesota Wild because Minnesota didn't have an answer to the rolling lines, and Joe Vitale told us this. Mike McKenna told us this. The moment Vladimir Tarasenko scored that hat trick, it felt like a little bit of a defeat for the Minnesota Wild because they knew that this was going to be too much to handle. And I wonder if Colorado – I don't think they're feeling that way because Colorado is a very confident bunch that knows that they can win hockey games solely off of who they have on the ice. But I think what happened with Colorado in game five is what happened to the Blues in game four. They got too distracted with everything other than the actual game. Now, the Blues were down three to nothing, but they got too distracted in the fact that they felt like they were going to the Western Conference final for the first time in 20 years. And oh my God, look at what Nathan McKinnon is doing. We can sit this one back. And I don't think that's going to happen in this one tonight. But I also know that the Blues have confidence in multiple players now. It's not just Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. Robert Thomas is no longer gripping the stick too tight. Vladimir Tarasenko is no longer not getting the bounces. Pavel Buchnevich has got eight points in this series. So wow, what you're seeing right now from the Blues is what you saw in games five and six against the Minnesota Wild, where they have now recognized... They now know the recipe for success in this one. It's a five man unit. It's a pack mentality. It's not relying on one guy to score goals. It's working harder than Colorado to score goals. You force them to play defense. They're going to struggle.
0: The other thing that the blues need in this game, and maybe it's tonight, maybe it's game seven in one of the next two games for the blues to be able to move on in this series. They're gonna need who Husso to stand on his head. Maybe it's for a period, maybe it's for an entire game. I went back, Alex, and we talked about this yesterday, or I guess it would have been Wednesday, going into game five. How what are the what is the formula for a team to come back from being down three to one? And if you're going to do it, you need a big-time performance out of your goalie. We'll get more into that coming up here in just a little bit. We'll hear from David Perron in about five minutes or so. But right now, let's go down to the ice level where Craig Perubi is speaking right now to the assembled media here at Enterprise Center.
4: So I guess you like you what you saw from Torpchenko the other
5: night on that third line, huh? Yeah, yeah. I thought he had a heck of a game. Yeah. Um... <laughs> he's involved in two of the goals we scored uh, with his play in the offensive zone and his forecheck, forechecking ability. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start him with Shen's line tonight and go from there. You know, there's always mixing and matching during a game, though.
3: Greg, you feel like does his energy rub off on the other guys when they
2: see what he's doing out there?
5: Oh, for sure. Um, he's a he's a great person, uh, very uh, likable, happy guy. You know, twenty four seven that rubs off on people, you know, and that, that energy, that good energy he provides really rubs off on people, and uh, he, you know, on the ice, it's, uh, every shift is energy, you know, every shift is skating and, and hard play and uh, forecheck, and it's, a, it's important, a very important in playoff uh, hockey. Does Barbashev's struggles also play into that move? I I don't know. Not really, no. Um, And I think that line, they got us the game-winning goal. Uh, They're out there together. So uh, Barbie's Barbie's a versatile guy. We use Barbie in uh, a lot of different scenarios, power play, penalty kill. You know, he gets his minutes. And, um, again, there's a lot of mixing and matching that goes on in the game, moving around, so.
4: Chief, one of the reasons you guys made the trade for Letty was his playoff experience. Has he given you what you thought he would
5: be as a playoff player? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Playing against top lines every night, uh, he's done a real good job. And then, you know, his composure out there, I've talked about that a lot. That goes a long way uh, with the puck and without the puck, you know. um, He's played extremely well for us.
2: Was there a consideration of putting him back on the power play?
5: Yeah, there's always consideration. Um, you know, we talked about uh, both scenarios, Letty or Perinko and But right now, I like the way Colton's shooting the puck. That's probably the difference. Yeah. Craig,
6: despite the success that road teams have had winning uh, in the playoffs, what do you guys get from this building and, and what's it like? Um, do you maybe take a little bit more with some of the schedule irregularities regularities of the last couple of years being able to play playoff hockey in your home building again something that you you know the whole league lost for a while
5: yeah uh well that first and foremost that's that's what it's all about i think you know uh getting back to normalcy and playing in your home building in front of your crowd and the energy your crowd provides um you know that's that's what it's all about right um you know i i don't i you know i really don't know what to make of the home and road here stuff that's going on that's that's hockey um you know I thought that uh, game three we st- uh, was it game three at home. We started off extremely well, and I liked our start in the game. And uh, you know, some things happen, changes. Game four not as good for sure. We were on our heels. They thought in the first period, but we weathered the storm. Um, you know, we got to just. We just gotta go and play. We're not gonna worry about that kind of stuff. We gotta have a good start to the game here tonight. They've started extremely well the last two games. They've been the better team in the first period, so we gotta we gotta turn that tide here tonight. I think it's important that we come out and we have a real good first.
2: You're talking about Pareco's shot, Has he just become more active? Is it communicated to him that you wanted him to be more active or you just kind of start shooting more
5: on his own? Well, it's always communicated, you know, not only with him, with a, you know, our D we want him to shoot and get it off quick and get it to the net uh you know he's always been you know he's always used his shot pretty well in my opinion and he's uh produced for us he's produced on the power play for us in the past years where we've used him uh more on the power play than this year so um you know it's he's he's just on his toes right now in my opinion he's playing some real good hockey and uh Again, like, you know, he's, he's, getting, he's getting a lot of shots off, you know, uh, five on five. And so I think on the power play, when he has an opportunity to shoot one tonight, and he did last game, we didn't have a good enough net front on it, but it was a great shot. Uh, We've got to get guys in, in front of the goalie's eyes, and he's going to use his shot. Okay, thanks. Thanks.
0: I was Craig Barubi live from Enterprise Center where Alex Ferrario and myself are watching the Blues morning skate. The abs will be out here momentarily. Big things there, Alex. Uh, as we had mentioned previously, it looks like Torbchenko is going to be bumped up to that third line uh, on Shin's line. The way he talks, Craig Berube, about Torupchenko, it is impossible for me not to hear him talking about Torupchenko and think, oh, that's exactly the way he once spoke about Oscar it, it, The energy that he brings to the team, the north-south style that he brings to the ice, all of that sounds so incredibly similar to what he once said about Oscar Sunquist and what he brought to the lineup.
3: Yeah, it's why Oscar Sunquist would get those big-time moments and the big responsibilities in games because of the ability to jump over the boards and just get the entire bench energized. And look, Toropchenko gets it. And, and I also understand, you heard him mention Ivan Barbashev, and some people are going to look at Ivan Barbashev and be like, oh, well, he's demoted, he's not playing well. I understand the points aren't showing up right now, but what Craig Berube said about Ivan Barbashev also signifies a little bit of Oscar Sundquist, but it also signifies a little bit of Ivan Barbashev via 2019 His ability to be a versatile player right now, he's not producing offensively, but you know what you can use him for an energy spark on that fourth line. And let's be real here. That's a mismatch advantage for St. Louis because an Ivan Barbashev who had 25 plus goals this season is playing on the fourth line with two other guys who can create offense. So I like the construction with it. Also take into consideration what Baruby said. It's not the way the lines are going to end because yep. at one point in this game, I guarantee you'll see an Ivan Barbashev back up there with Shannon Kairu just because
0: he goes off of who's playing the best in that game. Yeah, the other things that he mentioned that I think are worth uh, reacting to, he said he prefers uh, Pareko's shot on the power play to Nick Letty's.
3: And it's more so because he's shooting the puck. And I don't know where he sits right now just in terms of shots on goal among defensemen for the St. Louis Blues, but I would imagine he's got to be up there – with Justin Falk in terms of top guys, maybe top guys overall in the NHL because he has been shooting the puck a lot. Now, the problem with Colton Pareko is when he shoots it, sometimes it doesn't hit the net and it hits the boards behind the net and then it rims out and then you're already getting set back up. But Craig Berube, what do we always talk about with him? He knows how to inspire and keep guys motivated and right now Colton Pareko has never got power play time since he's been a St. Louis blue it's been always other guys but you've always wanted to see that slap shot we saw the slap shot in game three he just needs to hit the net, and when he does he's going to do two things he 's either going to score or he's going to injure somebody and that 's right what I think you want Pareko for at five on
0: or at uh, five on four so far in this series in the five games he has twelve shots on goal, so uh, hes he's putting up some shots on net for sure and then Baruby kind of reiterated what we've said a million different times and that it's so important for this team to get off to a hot start, especially in this game because when you look at what the Avs are thinking in the back of their minds. And maybe it's not consciously, but they know what their second round history has been. They know that this is their opportunity to be able to put the blues away and get to the Western conference final, where they're going up against another team after last night with Edmonton uh, moving on another team that's had their fair share of playoff struggles in the past as well. So Colorado knows this is an opportunity for them to get to the Stanley cup final with this Kale McCarr, Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon group, it might be their best chance to be able to get there. So if you can put them away early, Alex, uh, that's the thing that we talked about this in the Wild Series. You could kill their will early on in this game and force a game seven and suddenly anything can happen.
3: I think this is... And I, know, and I know you could say this for every one of them. Game five was a do or die. Game four, we felt like, was a do or die situation. This, to me, is such a monumental game in terms of if you can find a way to win this one tonight, I really do think you might have killed the will of Colorado. Because, and, and granted, Toronto played a hell of a series. But Toronto has had the same problem where they can't get out of the first round. They go to a game seven with Tampa. Now, they, were, they played very well in that game. But in the back of the minds of those players, there's a little bit of, man, we can't go through this again. And I would guarantee you that you might lose your cool if you're Nathan McKinnon and the struggles that have gone through and for how verbal you have been about how you don't want to keep doing this. If you force a game seven that goes back to Colorado where the Blues have won the last two games, this might be a team that. Their will could be broken, and that's where it really comes down to this one tonight. And I think what's also important is the fact that Colorado, Colorado's coming into this with a little extra confidence because they've won the last two games. But what Perubi said is what I think is going to play into this one. The games that have been played by the Blues in 3 and 4 here, other than prior to Jordan Bennington getting injured, Those were different teams and who's playing tonight. So I would say we are in for one hell of a hockey game uh, between these two teams this evening at Enterprise.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to the Cardinals game from last night. If they're going to be a team that we believe in, they can't let their defense slip the way that it did last night. We'll talk about that coming up at 1130. But coming up next, we're going to hear from David Perron. He spoke to the media a little bit ago. We'll hear what he had to say ahead of game number six, live from Enterprise Center here on 101 ESPN. We're right back
1: to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are live at Enterprise Center where later on this evening we will see Game 6 between the Blues and the Avs. Alex, Tanner, and myself will have your pregame coverage beginning at 6 o'clock, and puck drop is starting at 7 right here on your Home for the Blues 101 ESPN. A little bit earlier this morning, we were able to hear from David Perron ahead of game number 6. He spoke to the media here at Enterprise Center. Here is that full interview with David Perron right here on your Home for the Blues 101 ESPN.
5: Do you think think that that comeback was tactical in nature or... Mental
7: in nature for you guys uh what do you mean like were there adjustments that you made that you can replicate or was that just a will uh well we weren't getting in our four check we weren't slowing them down and uh i mean it's gonna be tough to do it all night long against that kind of speed that kind of team they have some great players they have different guys uh, over there uh even there are guys that aren't as fast they play a different way with a physical edge and a uh, guy like Landis Cod, Codre, those guys, they just find a way to, to make you pay in different ways. Uh, and then they have a lot of speed with McCarr and McKinnon, those guys. So I, I just think that we applied our game plan that we want to do every single night a little bit more. And uh, again, when it's 3 nothing, it's probably natural a little bit to kind of for them to, to play the right way and making sure that you don't take any, any chances. But maybe we, we, um, we're able to kind of play our game more because of that. So it's finding a way to do it uh, when the score is 0-0 or if we're up like one nothing or something like that um, and, and slowing them down early. David, what did you see from a young guy
3: like Torp when he's out there doing what he's doing? Is yeah, is, does that rub off on you guys yeah. when you're seeing his
6: energy out there?
7: Yeah, I mean it's it's awesome. Usually, like you said, uh, the younger guys bring a lot of energy. They bring a lot of physical physicality to um, to a match, to a game where. Um, sometimes you're going to need that, that kind of spark, and he, he certainly did that last game, and um, it was awesome to see for for him to step up and, and play that the way he did, and looks like he's getting another chance with uh, those guys, and uh, we want them to contribute again.
6: David, it seems like Tereschenko has started to get better looks as the series has gone along. How have you seen him kind of chipping away, and you said his goal kind of lit, you, lit a lamp a little yeah. bit. Um, what have you seen him kind of do to put himself in a better spot as the series goes along?
7: I mean it's yeah, I mean, I feel like you guys are so result oriented that when he scores all of a sudden he's getting good looks or he's playing better, or this guy's scoring, he's playing great, and fear not you're not, but uh, I think he's he's played pretty decent the whole time uh he, I think he's getting his looks, and sometimes they go in sometimes they don't, like he hit the crossbar. Game four, uh, he had looks, I'm sure, other games too, and sometimes they go in, sometimes they they don't, and obviously, we we need to find a way to come through, and he did last game, so it's uh, it was an important goal for us, gave us life, uh, like we both said, and uh, that's what was important. What do
6: you like, David, about what you've done against uh, McKinnon, especially in this series to this point, and, and what do you need to be especially conscious of tonight?
7: That we turn uh, the page on the shift, and we keep keep uh, hoping for uh, not hoping, I guess, striving to to be just as good or better the next shift. Because uh, as we see, uh, the moment you don't, he makes you pay. And uh, I, I think, for me especially, playing with O'Reilly all these years, uh, the, all the games we played together, we really don't talk much on the bench. It's just we just know what we want to do. We know what's going to happen the next shift. There's never really much uh, other than maybe face-off plays and little adjustments that we talk about. But we just keep pushing forward, and uh, we want to keep getting better, and we want to keep uh, slowing them down. You've you've
6: played more than 100 playoff games now in your career. Do you have a different appreciation for how fine the line is? Not just making the playoffs, yeah. but elimination. And uh, do you appreciate or uh, process these moments any differently at this point of your career?
7: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You, uh, you don't know. Often you're gonna be in, in a spot where you can advance um, two games away from advancing, and it's one game at a time mentality for us. But definitely, as you get older, you, you appreciate every single moment even more. Uh, you see how close it is uh, in other games too, like the, the Coleman goal. I mean, I'm sure if we voted in this room, it could be closer to 50-50 than we, we would think uh, on the decision there. And then all of a sudden it Edmonton wins. So that's what it is. Like we played Minnesota. They are a really good team as well. It, some games they could have gone their way. We we found the way. And uh, same thing in this series. So uh, that's why they're up 3-2 right now. They found the way one more time than us, and we want to try and tie it up tonight. Hey, David. Uh, what did it feel like to be booed the other night? Um, interesting, uh, but I honestly, it, once I had the puck, uh, didn't affect me too much. A uh, couple shifts, I, I think the first uh, first shift, I almost kind of ch- chuckled a little bit in my mind. I was like, oh, here you go. Uh, that's how it, that's how it goes, but. Uh, um, that's, that's what, um, there's fun. Uh, there's intensity in playoffs, uh, fan base are intense and, um, uh, that's, uh, as long as it stays like that, then it's fine.
0: So that was David Perron a little bit ago talking to the assembled media here at enterprise center, along with Alex and Tanner, on BK. Alex, I, I kind of like what he said there at the end about him getting booed out at ball arena in Denver. If I could make one plea to Blues fans tonight, it would be this. Oh, I, I know where you're going. Don't boo Nazem Kadri. <laughs> yes. In Don't. fact, cheer for him. Don't boo him. And here's why. I'm not saying it's not because he's a dirty player and any of those things. Whatever you think about Nazem Kadri, with him. Yeah, I was going to say, without being a, an yeah, idiot. Yeah, without being dumb and stupid and racist. You, you know who you are. Other than that, you can think whatever you want about him, frankly. But he feeds off of that negative energy. That is what allows him to be the player that we saw here in game number four. That helps him take over this series. You feeding in those booze. It's like us drinking the tears of the Avs fan oh. after game number five. And you know
3: what? Save it for game seven.
0: Yeah. At home, Just Drink those to Do his ass every time that he touches the puck? Amen. By all means, go for it. From home, that is the place to do it. Out here at Enterprise Center, listen, you can be a fan however you want to be, so if you don't want to listen to me, that's fine. But I'm just telling you, I think if you want to help your team win tonight, the way to do it is by not booing Nazem Khadri. I know it sounds counterproductive, but I honest to God believe that that helps. I'm with
3: you, and look, uh, the Blues did such a good job in that last game to just let them be. Like, give him his opportunities. Play him hard, but don't get any of the extra stuff. Don't go after him with the extra physical play because that does it, it. Just ignites a fire. It's it's essentially what they did with that grief line against Minnesota. Yep, they didn't let them get to Marcus Foligno. Wasn't able to draw them into the to the fight. Jordan Greenway. They let Jordan Greenway be himself, and himself is to take really dumb penalties, and the Blues made him pay for it. You. People are going to boo him. It's just how it's going to work. And you know what? Sometimes that's fun just to get that fan perspective into this. But Kadri has shown that he is the guy that when people are against him, he thrives in it. And right now, I think the best thing for Blues to do is to just let him go out there and play hockey because they can defend that. They can't defend the, the Superman mentality when everyone's against you on the ice.
0: So the one other thing that I wanted to get to, something going back to what Craig Berube said earlier that we heard from him, Alex, is uh, playing early on in the game and getting out to an early lead potentially. The Blues have been outshot in the first period 33-12 to 12 in the last two Even. games against Colorado. That is something that has to get corrected in this game. I understand that, hey, you might just need Billy Huso to come out and stand on his head for 15 minutes. We saw that uh, in what was it, game five here in St. Louis against um, against the Wild. Yeah, I was
3: going to say those two games, they, well, uh, they allowed two in game number five, but one of them was only allowed in game number four.
0: Yeah, and, and Jordan Bennington, you know what? It was earlier in the series. It was game two yeah. they, at, here at home, uh, I believe it was. Whatever it was. It was one of the games where Jordan Bennington stood on his head for the first 10 minutes and allowed the Blues to get back into this that thing. That was game number one. That's what it was. And that was what bought them time. If you're able to do that, so be it. But, man, it would be a hell of a lot better if you didn't have to.
3: You did such a good job, BK, BKF Compass series, to that San Jose Sharks Vegas Golden Knights series, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And... You nailed it because you had to get that goal, that game where you scored five goals to win or whatever it was. This is that game, I'm imagining, you need Martin Jones moment. You need a 58 save kind of night. I hope not. (laughs) I hope not too. I hope the Blues are going to play better and frankly they will because San Jose Sharks' defense was a lot worse than the St. Louis Blues defense. But you're going to need Huso to save the... You're going to need Husso to make a couple of big-time saves for you to really drain the momentum out of this Colorado team. And also, I think because the Blues found the recipe for success against Darcy Kemper, there's going to be some odd-man rushes tonight because they like to play a five-man unit. And if that's the case... You need Ville Husso to be on his game, but I think he's got a little bit more confidence than what he had going into Game 5 after Game 5.
0: Along with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from Enterprise Center here ahead of Game Number 6. Alex, Tanner, and myself will have pregame coverage for you starting at 6 o'clock. Puck drop coming up at (laughs) 7. Somebody
3: said, nope, not booing Kadri is such a beta male move. (laughs) Totally expected coming from BK. Alex, why do you agree? Why do I agree? Because I want a damn Game Number 7. Yeah. I want to beat Edmonton in the Western Conference final. If you think it's a beta
0: move, like that's totally fine. It probably is. But honestly, like if you didn't feel like Nazem Kadri was feeding off of those booze, I don't know what to tell you. I was here in the arena and you could see it. Let's look <laughs> at you could feel
3: it. Let's look at the evidence here. So game five, Nazem Kadri has absolutely nothing in that game against the St. Louis Blues. What did he end with? He ended with a minus three and had one shot on goal. The two games where he was getting booed, he had six points, four goals, and five shots on goal. I'm not agreeing with the beta BK moves here, but this is a smart play because Nazem Kadri, when he's getting cheered, Seems to not have the same effect that he has when he is getting booed.
0: Nazem Kadri so far has played nine playoff games, and those two where he was booed here in St. Louis, he had four goals. The other seven games combined, he has one. In the two games where he was here, he had two assists. Uh, in the uh, every other game that he's played so far, he has three. You want a crazier like, stat he just, here? He dominated those two games. Dominated.
3: Nazem Kadri on home ice has 2 points in the wow. playoffs so far. They're both assists. Nazem Kadri on the road
0: has 8 points. There's your difference. Just leave him be. Let him do leave what him he wants be. to do. Don't poke Except the bear. Be it's all right. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, a very different segment Beta. than what we would normally do at 1145. We're getting to some ask us anything. Oh! Sports or otherwise. Any questions that you may have? 65780 anything. is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show. Ask us anything coming up at 1145. But next, if the Cardinals are going to be the defense that I believe. Let's try this again. Take the two. Cardinals are going to be the team that I believe they can be. They can't let the defense slip the way that we saw it slip last night. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. Let it be.
5: Let it be. Let it be. Let it be.
1: Let it be. be. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: It seemed like a lot of hits tonight. Uh, It seemed like there was nothing but runners on ducks on the pond the whole time. But sometimes it's like that, you know. Sometimes you're 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 grinding out there and you got to make pitches. But uh, three two out runs, really what it comes down to, you
0: know. Adam Wainwright gave up the most hits that he has seen against him in almost three years now. It's been since 2019 that he gave up double digit hits. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Adam Wainwright after yesterday's performance in which he takes the loss now five and four on the season gave up 10 hits three earned runs in five innings Alex I didn't think Wayno was great I also didn't think he was terrible and he ended up going only five innings in that game because of his defense if it wasn't for Edmundo Sosa who definitely made one error And you could maybe charge him for an error as well going back into left field. That might have been on Yepes. I'm not sure exactly who was at fault on that play, but they ended up letting a blooper drop there as well. Man, that just can't happen. If this team is going to reach the ceiling that I think it has, it must include elite-level defense. And Edmundo Sosa last last night had two below-average plays at best, bad plays at worst. And last year, I thought Emundo Sosa was the better defensive player than over the course of the season than Paul DeYoung. That has not been true this year. Sosa has been hit and miss, to say the least, defensively. And at the plate, he has not been the same guy. He's been a little more jumpy than he was a year ago as well. If he continues playing like that, I'm starting to wonder if he ends up being one of the odd men out in this rotation. I don't know if that means they DFA him. I don't know what his future holds here in St. Louis, but... Edmundo Sosa is going to need better performances if he's going to be able to continue to be a part of this lineup regularly.
3: Yeah, in my opinion, Edmundo Sosa, Edmundo Sosa is a bench player at best for this team right now. And if I had my pick of the litter between Edmundo Sosa and Paul DeYoung, I would probably lean more towards Paul De Young, which I feel
0: crazy saying, but like at least you know consistently Paul De Young's defense is gonna be there. And let's be honest, Sosa's bat hasn't been there this year either. He's got a two ninety three on base percentage right now and he hasn't hit it for any power. You essentially have a worse version of Paul DeYoung right now,
3: and I know he provides a little bit of a spark. For me, Tommy Edmond is going to be the shortstop. Like, and I understand what they're doing with the Nolan Gorman splits, where you're you're only pitching or yeah. you're playing him against righties, not lefties. But at, at one point, it's just where I'm like. Play them no matter
0: what. And I think they will. When Tyler O'Neill's available? When Tyler O'Neill's available in Dylan Carlson. if, if yeah. Whichever one comes back because first.
3: Don, but then you get to the point
0: where do you play Donovan at second so base? So that's what I was going to get to. I think what, the, what you're going to see is not Gorman. I think it'll be Donovan that kicks, slides down, and plays second base for you against left-handed pitching. You're going to see Gorman about 70-plus percent of the time because most of the pitchers that you face are right-handed. But last night, I think that's a perfect opportunity for you to be able to get him a night off I don't want to see him end up getting buried and his numbers start to decrease. We saw this in the minors. His numbers against lefties just frankly were not very good. He was batting below 200 most of his seasons against left-handed pitching. So take him off those nights. Allow him to get the opportunity. Whenever you see a righty come into the game, as they did last night, he moved over to second base. You have Tommy slide over to short. That's the right way to go about it, in my opinion. But if Edmundo Sosa is going to continue playing like this, once they get O'Neal, or Carlson or Young back up into the big leagues, I've made my thoughts known about how I think it's going to be Corey Dickerson that ends up being sent away. I'm starting to wonder if it could be a Mundo Sosa that ends up being the guy that is the odd man out because they have so much flexibility now on the infield.
3: I just think it has to be because I think T-Bone, and I don't know where you're at on this one, but for me, I've liked Tommy Edman at shortstop. You know, he's not going to win a gold glove at shortstop, but he has not been a liability for you. And when you get healthier, you can take Brendan Donovan out of the outfield and you can keep him in the infield. And I think you're looking at a team that defensively can handle themselves, but you're getting more of those at-bats that you want in the lineup.
8: Yeah, I, I've been impressed with Tommy Eben so far. I think he's handled himself well at shortstop, but I I wouldn't consider moving on from Edmundo Sosa just yet. I I think Sosa's a guy that has to get constant at bats to be a guy that's effective, and I know he's that not that's going to have that here though. But I I just want to DFA guy because it's, oh he's not getting at bats. He's look he's going to have to learn to hit on the bench, no doubt about it. But his glove, I get it. He struggled last night. I still think he's better than what he's been so far this year defensively. I'm not just going to cut bait with a guy that I think can be a solid infielder that plays better defense than Paul DeYoung's at time last year as well. I don't think he's been as bad as uh, DeYoung this year. I mean, he's got better numbers than DeYoung did.
3: But his defense, Paul DeYoung, his defense has been better than Edmundo Sosa's, and that's essentially why you sent... I mean that's essentially why you wanted Edmundo Sosa at shortstop because you knew that his defense would play I,
8: I think Sosa's defense is going to get to that level I don't know what it is for some reason it's just a slow start for him defensively this year I don't think you lose your defensive ability I don't think you go from a guy that we're talking about last year as being as good if not better than Paul DeYoung and then it just falls off the table I think it's just going to be he's going to have to work on it in the backfield. I think he's going to be fine defensively I'm not close to the point of just moving on from Mundo Sosa. Now, Dickerson, Dickerson's a different story. I I think Dickerson, you can see that he has had his struggles this year at the plate. I think you're seeing a lot of pools getting at-bats against right-handed pitching because the Cardinals just don't feel comfortable in Dickerson even giving them a competitive at-bat against right-handed pitching. I'm not at the point, though, where it's time to move on from Edmundo. So so I get He's not going to be getting a lot of starts, but if you start working him in the lineup, just a little bit more when like the lefties on the mound, like it was last night, when you don't have Gorman there, I think at some point though, he'll start to pick it up. I'm not willing to just move on from him just yet.
0: So here's when it's going to get interesting is when this team actually gets back to being at full strength. And maybe they just never will. And you don't have to make any of these tough decisions, but you're going to have two catchers. That's, two spots on the roster. You're going to have Aronado, Edmund, Gorman, Goldie. I think those guys are going to be locks to be on the roster, uh, barring something unforeseen. That's four more spots. Yep, as Donovan and Pools, that's three spots. You're up to nine already. Uh, And then you've got Bader, Carlson, and O'Neill as locks to be in your outfield. That's 12 spots that you've got without mentioning any of uh, Edmundo Sosa, Paul DeYoung, Corey Dickerson, Lars Newpar. You're going to have one spot for those guys. One spot that is available for them. That's when things get really interesting, is when you have to start making some hard decisions on the roster. Thus far this year, they really haven't had to do that, because they've had guys that they can option up and down. Eventually, they are going to have to make those decisions of, okay, who do we DFA, where it is a risk of us potentially losing this player to another team. And that might mean losing both. Corey dickerson and edmundo sosa that at least has to be on the table for this team i'm interested to see how they view a large newt bar so far he has not gotten many at bats not gotten many opportunities at the big league level we'll see if that turns around and maybe he ends up getting some more of those opportunities he's certainly better defensively than what we've seen thus far from Corey dickerson but the cardinals are going to have to start making some hard decisions here in the not too distant future and whenever they do I, You guys know I'm a big fan of Edmundo Sosa, and I think he's going to catch on with another team if he's not here long term. But plays like last night, games like last night, those have to be few and far between if he is going to be here for the long haul. Cause Tanner, I want you to be right. I want him to be a piece of what this team is trying to build around. But, man, when you see what we've seen so far from Brendan Donovan and the flexibility that Juan Yepes brings to the table, and if Gorman is the player that they think that he can be, that just provides you with so much flexibility that it makes it less likely that over the long haul you have Edmundo Sosa as a piece that you need here. Here,
8: here, Here's
3: the other thing for me, too. Sorry, T-Bone, real quick. Uh, When when the Paul DeYoung thing happened, we all said, like, you know, give Edmundo Sosa a shot, and he's gotten a shot. And I still think you need a little bit more time. But, like, we all said, and and because people are saying that we're the king of overreactions in sports talk radio, which might be true, but – we all said that we were going to give Edmundo Sosa a leash, but I don't think that leash was very long. And now the fact the that Cardinals didn't give him a long leash and and look, they gave him like two games, and
8: that o- was, was not going to work out. Two games didn't work. Ali
3: despises guys who can't throw throw strikes and who pitches slow. Like he wants faster pace. We saw that with Dakota Hudson last, or uh, we saw that in the situation, um, a couple of games ago with Jordan Hicks. You think he's going to be okay with guys giving up errors and only hitting 220 on the season? That's not going to last very long.
8: Mike, I wanted to go back to what were the names you were saying in BK? that when it comes down to decision time? Dick. I know it was Dickerson, it was Sosa, uh, Newpar. Who was the other one? Was there another one on the roster there that you're saying? Uh,
0: to Young, eventually they're going to have to make a decision yeah. on him as well.
8: Yeah, of those four, I, I think the way the Cardinals would go is Sosa would be that one other bench bat that you would keep right now. I, I don't see Newpar. I mean, New, they haven't given Newpar a bat, so – you don't really have a spot for him. Might as well send you him back down. Think they're going to keep Sosa over to Young? Because I, I think I think so. No way. I I think right now, right now, if you were to say, it, I think they would, because I mean, if they sent DeYoung down to AAA, I don't think it was, I don't think it was, oh, we're going to go fix his bat. I think it was because they have no faith in his bat getting fixed and just send him down there to clear a roster spot. So. I would right now say Sosa over De Young, and then I don't think Dickerson Dickerson would not have a long uh, leash here either for now. Interesting. Uh, that's that's
0: what the decisions are going to come down to. So if you think we're being reactionary, that's fine, but over the next couple of weeks, these are going to have to be the reactions that the Cardinals have to make. So we're just getting out on the front end of this. It'll be interesting to see the way that Emundo Sosa is able to bounce back. I don't think that you're going to see him in the lineup over the next few days. You'll probably see Tommy Edmund bump over to shortstop with Nolan Gorman getting those uh, starts at second base. And Tanner, to your point earlier, he's Guy Sosa is that needs those opportunities to really be able to get his bat going. Uh, this is where he's gonna have to show coming off of the bench potentially that he can do that as well. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we'll talk to Mike McKenna, the former NHL goalie. But next, let's get into some Ask Us Anything. If you guys have any questions, sports, or otherwise, get him in on the Air Comfort Service X-Line at 65780. Ask us anything is next.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN.
0: comfort service X line for ask us anything let's start with this one from the 636 guys if the blues scored two goals in the first period do you think the abs will start thinking in the back of their minds that they just don't have enough especially after what happened in the last game no absolutely not
3: Uh, honestly in in all reality somebody is just going to obliterate me on this one after the way that game number five went i prefer the underdog mentality of the blues in a game I mean, they scored the first goal in the first four games of this series. I think so. You want them to allow the first? That's goal. what I. Uh, that's why I said I was huh. going to get obliterated with this. No, that's I just. Think I take. don't understand. <laughs> I, I think this series. I, I, I. God, people are. I think this series, no team is out of it if they're trailing, I and we've bet. seen that. Like the Blues, they weren't out of it despite them being down three nothing. Although we all thought they were. So if the Blues get up by three goals, there will be no quit in Colorado. Colorado will be viewing it the exact same way that St. Louis viewed it in game number five. So I just think there's no way you can blow out this team in this game tonight. This is going to come down to a very close finish.
8: Yeah, I'm with you 100%. N- not so much on the go down early part. I never but said that, t what I heard. What did you just say, Tanner? Go down early. Yeah. Okay. What's okay. rub off mean? I don't know. Uh, but I I would say that I don't think you can really... Break the will of Colorado if you go up like two-nothing and start getting it in the back of their mind tonight. I think that's more of a game seven thing because they've still got one game to spare, and that that's tonight. If Colorado loses, it's not like they're eliminated like the blues. So I don't think that really starts to play into Colorado's mindset until you get to a game seven. Then if you jump on them early in game seven, then I think it starts to weigh in the back of their mind of holy bleep, we may have just blown a three-one lead, and here we go again, not able to get out of the second round.
0: Yeah, I Will they have some of those thoughts in the back of their mind? Sure. I also think that this is is just a different abs team. They're really good, man. And if the Blues beat them, they deserve so much credit for winning this series because this is one monumental task. I think the Blues are going up against arguably the best team remaining in the playoffs. And, like, I think the Blues are in that category. It's why coming into this series, I thought it was crazy how much people were saying that there was, like, this massive gap between the two teams. But we've talked about this a million different times, Alex. I think whoever wins this series is going to the Stanley Cup final. Oh, yeah. And Edmonton, look, uh,
3: congrats to what Edmonton has done, although I don't think they should have won last night because of that kicking goal that was disallowed on Blake Coleman. That was a joke. But Edmonton did what they needed to do. But Edmonton does not look like a team that's going to a Stanley Cup final because Mike Smith, there were four goals given up in that game last night in a minute and 11 seconds, the fastest in the NHL playoffs history. Neither of those teams I thought had a good chance to get past Colorado or St. Louis, and now I'm backing it even more. Like Edmonton, Edmonton is great. Connor McDavid has been a stud, but those teams do not. I just don't see them beating St. Louis or Colorado.
0: Is the ear comfort service tax line. A few quick hitting uh, ask us anything from the 314. Don't you guys think the Cardinals should have taken a chance on Jock Peterson instead of Dickerson for basically the same amount of money? I've seen this a lot lately. Guys, Chuck Peterson wanted to play for the Giants. Yeah, he's, he's from friends. that area. And he's friends with Brandon Crawford, isn't he? Yes, because he's from that area. He grew up in, I think it's Palo Alto. Like, it. He was not going to sign here in that's St. Louis a up for that place. amount of money. So, uh, should they have signed Jock Peterson? Of course. Like, yes, he's a better player than Corey Dickerson. But that wasn't an option. And when that's not an option, then sure. it's kind of a false choice. Should have signed Kyle Schwarber. From the three, two, go. one, do you think Matt Carpenter will have a big factor for the Yankees in making the World Series? No. No. And from the wow, you six, are just rapid fire. From the six, three, six, Alex is right. Let the Avs score first. All right. There we go. No, that's wrong talk too. We can talk about that with Mike McKenna. I'll ask Mike McKenna. No, I'll let Alex ask Mike McKenna if he thinks that the strategy from the blues tonight should be allowing the Avs to score. I'm well, not gonna ask that question, so <laughs> Mike McKenna, former Aquali, McCoy. joins us next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: is currently speaking to the media here at Enterprise Center of course the head coach of the Colorado Avalanche here's what he said about Darcy Kemper quote he's capable of winning this game single-handedly end quote yeah we saw that
3: already in one of these games remember game w- but remember game f- okay
0: yeah this comes uh, just two days after Jared Bednar and his post game press conference. Uh, more or less blamed his goalie for their loss in game number five. You know what we should do? We should ask a goaltender what that means. Let's talk to former NHL goalie Mike McKenna. The former NHL goalie joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line as he has each and every Friday throughout the blue season. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, do you agree with Jared Bednar's assessment of Darcy Kemper that he can, quote, single-handedly win this game for the Abs?
2: Well, I mean, he has before, and I think any goaltender in the NHL can. It's just that I don't think Kemper's really had to steal anything in playoffs. You know, that first round was a cakewalk against Nashville, um, and realistically, the Blues haven't pushed that hard. I mean, I know that there's been spurts and moments where the St. Louis has been able to grab the, the pace of play and get some shots towards Kemper, but... We can't really look at any of the first five games and ostensibly say that the Blues outplayed Colorado. I really don't believe that. Game two is about as close as it got. Okay, Game two was definitely better, but they haven't been dominant performances. So you know, if we're looking at Kemper to steal a game, how many times were a goalie faces 25 or 30 shots and you look at it like a stolen win? And so if that's going to be the case, I'm looking at this from the Blues' perspective. They got to put a ton of rubber on net and get a ton of grade-A chances if we're even going to be talking about Kemper having to steal a game.
3: Yeah, and that's kind of my thought process with this also, Mike, because I mean, I don't know if they've solved Darcy Kemper, but Darcy Kemper has struggled on the odd man rushes, the high danger scoring chances. I think uh, according to Money Puck, he's like the worst in the playoffs currently at like a 333. Have the Blues kind of figured out Darcy Kemper in this defense with Colorado after game five?
2: Well, I think it's I think game five at least gave them some clues of what they need to do. And it's been no surprise that the St. Louis blues need to find ways to generate more on the rush because that's been their bread and butter all season long, man. It's been the rush. It's been the power play and without having their speed through the neutral zone, because like one, Colorado's done a good job of it. But two, I think the blues didn't support well in a lot of the series so far. They haven't been able to get those rush chances. Well, they finally get them last game and, and look who it is. It's Uchnevis driving hard wide and making something happen, you know, and, and it's, Kyra moving his feet into the zone. It's Thomas getting going. That's what the blues really needed. was their second and third lines going, especially the Thomas line. And I think with Kemper, yeah, he, he's pretty aggressive on rush chances. Um, and, and he's to me look like he's really struggled with traffic this series. And I think part of that is that he hasn't faced a lot of rubber. He hasn't faced 40 shots like some of these other goalies. And so, you can kind of lull him into complacency. And you look at Bozak's goal, it wasn't a hard shot, but Kemper didn't fight hard enough to see the shot. It's in the net. Now we're looking at a coming back to St. Louis for game six.
0: We're talking to Mike McKenna here on 101 ESPN, former NHL goalie. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike McKenna, 56. You can also check out his work over at the daily Faceoff. They do excellent work breaking down the postseason. Mike, I did want to ask you about Ville Husso, who, it was a rough start for him in game five and the Avs put a ton of shots on net. So part of it is just a rough start for the blues. Overall, they had 18 shots to the blues nine in the first period. What did you see from him though, as that game continued, because it seemed like he really settled in maybe for the first time so far in this series.
2: Usually you look at a game where a goaltender faces 34 shots and allows four goals. And you're, you're not looking at that as being kind of a benchmark for a series. But I actually thought Huso was really good. Okay. And, and I remember tweeting about midway through the game when everything things seemed to be going downhill in Colorado's favor. Help this man with <laughs> the gif of Billy Huso. And he'd already allowed three goals at that point. And my thought process was this game might end up six or seven to nothing. And guess what, though? Blues get a goal from Tarasenko late in the second. It gave him life. And then in the third period, St. Louis was really good. Colorado quit playing. So it gave Huso a chance to make a difference in the game from the perspective that he only had to make several saves as it wore on. But I'm looking at the big save he made on the two-on-one chance that Josh Manson had about midway through the first period. And Huso goes right to left, makes a pad save, and it was a shorthanded play. Okay, So the Blues would have gone down, I believe, 2 nothing if that puck had gone in. To me, that was a massive jolt of adrenaline for Billy Huso and an affirmation that he could do it. Like so, it's amazing, guys. Like sometimes, all it takes is one save to flip your mindset as a goalie, and do, and to realizing I'm I can do this. I'm here for a reason, and you have that confidence just instantly j- jolt through your body. To me, that save really had that effect, and I'm curious to see if Huso can continue that into Game Six tonight.
3: With that being said, Mike, players are like that as well. You know, one goal after a rough playoff series can ignite a fire and I I think blues fans are hoping that can take place for Robert Thomas, but you've been on the ice with these guys. You've, you've been in locker rooms with hockey players. How important is it when a guy is going through something to get one goal or in Thomas's case, two goals to spark some confidence on the ice?
2: Biggest thing for me is that the player has to earn it. You know, if you're just standing in front and one goes off your leg, whatever, but look at Thomas's game. Okay. Way better way, way better in game five. Okay. He he had the puck on his stick so much more often. He played with way more confidence and guess what? He had six shots on goal. Like to me, that means he was headed to the net and that he had a mission and that was to score. It wasn't to go out and be a playmaker and to throw sauce passes to your teammates and be the consummate, your consummate Oates. right? Just filtering pucks and not taking the credit. I saw a little bit of killer instinct in Thomas that to me wasn't there before. And again, you've got to make it yourself. And you can only do that with your feet. You can only do it when you're skating. And, you know, I even look at the, the Rangers in Carolina last night, and Gerard Gallant, who's the head coach of the Rangers said after the game, you see, well, we just didn't move. There was too much reaching, reaching. We didn't use our feet. Didn't check. That's exactly what I'd seen out of the blues too often in the series against Colorado. The third period of game five, the blues finally came alive. And that's the type that they've got to play again tonight to get this game to get this series to game seven.
0: Mike McKenna, final question for you. He's the former NHL goalie joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Uh, Mike, I've been really impressed all year, really, by what we've seen from Alexi Torpchenko, but especially in the last few games, what we've seen from him. And today, Craig Berube confirmed what we thought might be the case. He's going to be bumped up once again with that third line. He's going to play with Braden Shin and Jordan Kairou. What did you see from him in the last game And do you like the decision to go with him on that third line alongside Shin in Cairo?
2: I like it because it's rewarding a player who's done a great job and who's really had to work and earn it. Now, the hard part is that really the flip side of this is that Barbashev hasn't Performed the way I expected, at least from an offensive standpoint, it hasn't been there at all for the Blues. He's had one assist in the series. um, And Barbish has done his job in terms of laying hits and being physical, but he can do that on the fourth line as well. What I've seen from Torpchenko that's so impressive for me is in limited ice time on the ice, you notice him every time he's out there the way he carries the puck, the way he drives the net. And I think when you mix him in on that third line and put him with somebody, like a Braden Shen who can control play, who can direct traffic, who can basically get the puck on Torpchenko's stick and let that guy stride. I think that's a good foil. And I think it really fits having a bit of range too. He's so tall that pucks end up on a stick. And you know, you're hoping that he draws some of the attention so that you can get the puck over to Cairo and he can skate. So I love the is rewarding Torpchenko. It's a bit situational, um, but I think this is a big stage for him, and I'm curious to see especially how his, his speed and size works alongside Shannon Cairo.
0: Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Looking forward to game six tonight. Hopefully we're talking to you next week as we're breaking down a potential Western Conference final for the Blues.
2: And I hope so. I will catch you in the building. I'll be there a little bit late, but I am looking forward to this one, man. Hopefully we got a game seven on the docket here soon.
0: Fingers crossed. It's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie. Now over with the daily face off. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at Mike McKenna56. Mike McKenna56. Always appreciate his time here on BK and Ferrario.
3: I like his thoughts on Torpchenko, and I know we've touched on it, and I think we're going to get into it a little bit later, but there's two things you're flipping with this. One, you're putting a guy who creates offense on a line that, frankly, needs a little bit more offense, um, and you're also putting some speed on there, and I think that's something that people might undervalue. Not that Barbashev isn't fast. But Torapchenko and Jordan Kairou on a line together, I mean, that's like Thomas and Kairou on a line together and just in terms of speed. But you're also, uh, in what Mike said there, nailed it. Like Barbashev has underperformed offensively, but Barbashev has overperformed in terms of his ability to create physical play. And what's a fourth line good at? It's creating opportunities for other lines by physicality. Now, I know Bozak benefited on that play uh, in overtime, but if you watch when the Blues are playing their best, the fourth line is cycling the puck. They're getting in the offensive push. Nathan Walker, Ivan Barbashev going to the front of the net. And if they don't get opportunities to score, they keep the puck in the offensive zone enough time to get a new line out there that can take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, and that's what you're looking for tonight from them. It'll be uh, Barbie, Bozak, Walker as your fourth line. They are going to go back to the 12-6 to once again. I think that's a good decision. Smart. I liked the way that that looked uh, in Game 5 for them, of course. But uh, on Torupchenko, man, I mentioned in my FanDuel read, I think this has the feel of a Braden Shin game. We haven't really seen him get on the board when it comes to the goal-scoring production. One of the things that I like about Toropchenko is when he has a rush going the other way, he just throws it at the net. Or
3: he goes to the net.
0: One of the two like he finds a way to get the puck to the net, whether he's shooting from further away or if he just drives basically at the post and then tries to stick it under the pads, he finds a way. And one of those rebound opportunities, that is prime Braden Shin real estate. If he is driving to the net as well, man, you're going to see some opportunities for him there at the net. And that's also going to create some space where guys have to collapse on those two. And it could create some opportunities from Jordan Kyrou to be able to get that shot off Uh, from a little bit further distance. So I like the way that line is constructed. And if you told me who's the line that ends up getting it going tonight, the last game it was the Thomas line. I think tonight it might be the shin line. I think that's the one that finally gets things going.
3: I can see that, but I really think tonight's the night for the Thomas line. I think tonight's the night to continue what they just did I mean you already got a, a overconfident uh, Robert Thomas and we just heard Mike McKenna say like you're rewarded for working hard and I think yep. Thomas realized that Tarasenko is such a streaky goal scorer that when he gets one he starts to really ignite a fire so I, I actually think Thomas Tarasenko Bucnevich, who he's got seven points in the series so far
0: that's the line that is going to cause a lot of problems for Colorado we mentioned Darcy Kemper the comments from Jared Bednar a little bit ago I want to talk to him about him on the other side as well because darcy kemper came into this series as a big question mark for us it seemed like all of colorado believed he's the answer in net not so much anymore we'll talk about darcy kemper what his role is going to be in tonight's game for the blues versus the Evs, and one area that did not go as expected for the blues in game five that has to be corrected for them tonight we'll talk about it all coming up next here on 101 espn
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We are right now with Darcy Kemper on May 26th. Where we were on October 1st, November 1st, Mm. February 1st, we're in the same place. The question, can Darcy Kemper lead this team to a Stanley Cup? And the answer's always been, don't know. Won't know until we know. As of right now this morning, we still don't know, and we still have to be skeptical.
0: That was 104.3 The Fan out in Denver talking about Darcy Kemper, who they had all the confidence in the world in going into this series, Alex. Not only has he been great this season – He's been better than what they had in net last year. This is what we were told. Yeah. That's what Jarcy I got Kemper. yelled at on Twitter about. Darcy Kemper so far in this series has an 891 save percentage. I don't need to tell you, Alex, that ain't good. That is basically Jordan Biddington before he snapped back into being 2019 Jordan Biddington this season. In fact, it might even be a little worse Whoa. than what Jordan Bennington was uh, on the season Darcy Kemper has been flat-out bad so far in this series. Now, the Blues haven't made him work enough at times in the series, and that's something they've got to get better at. Uh, Hold on. Are we giving them
3: bulletin board material here?
0: No, not us. That's that's up to the Baruby and the players and everything. I just wanted to make sure. We don't matter. (laughs) Um, But Darcy Kemper has not been particularly good, and Alex, if the Blues are able to continue throwing pucks at the net the way that they did in Game 5 in the second and third periods... I really think they've got a good chance to be able to solve this riddle because you look at the way that they did it in Game 5. Letty shot from deep. Parrishenko picks up the loose puck, just throws it at the net. It somehow goes in. That's basically what Bozak did. Just throw it at the net, see if it can go in. It goes in five-hole. You look at some of the other opportunities. They are right at the net, and he just doesn't have it sealed cleanly. The empty or the uh, the Blues go to their empty net, six on five. That's where you get Thomas putting it in from the backside. Like they can do this. He is beatable. Like pretty easily at times, beatable. It reminds me so much of the later portion of the series against the Minnesota Wild, where early on, we're like, man, that's Marc-Andre Fleury. And then later on, we're like, yeah, they're going with Marc-Andre Fleury. The Blues have the opportunity to beat this guy, and I really do think that, like, 104.3 asks the question, can they win the Stanley Cup with Darcy Kemper? It's looking like an uphill battle for them right now. Like,
3: uh, I know advanced statistics get people real frustrated. It does me with baseball, but it's, just, it's a way for me to judge a goaltender in the playoffs. And that's not everything. Some of it's the play in front of them. I've said that a lot in the regular season when it came to Jordan Bennington. But Darcy Kemper is at the bottom of nearly every statistical category in the playoffs so yep. far this postseason. Now, surprisingly or I guess unsurprisingly, however you want to look at it, Billy Husso is actually, in terms of goals saved above uh, expected, Huso is the worst in the NHL playoffs. But Darcy Kemper is right there with him. So I really think that you're seeing, I think you're seeing a perfect example of a goaltender who is just, he's vulnerable. And Mike McKenna, I think, said it best. Like, he just has not seen a whole lot of shots. But I think that sometimes is a strategy of the Blues, not that they're not shooting the pucks, but when you go quantity over quality, a goaltender can get into his rhythm. If you're going quality over quantity, like we saw in the first period, a goaltender's not seeing a whole lot. And then next thing you know, well, he's got to find a way to keep himself involved in the game. And then when you get those outworks in front of the net, it's hard for him to make those saves. And we saw a couple of examples of, though, in the third period in game number five, so I don't think Darcy Kemper is the worst goaltender in the playoffs right now. I don't think Darcy Kemper is a liability in net. But I do think the Blues have found the solution to Colorado's goaltender. And in all reality, it's odd man rushes because he's a little shaky in that sense. And he is not good in the playoffs. Worst among goaltenders. And it's bodies in front of the net, which is so surprising
0: to say because this is literally Marc-Andre Fleury from round it's one. It's so interesting, man, because it's not just that it is Marc-Andre Fleury. It also is kind of a reflection of what the Blues have in net right now as well. Like You look at the way that Ville Husso's played so far, what are the issues that he's had? Basically what you just said about Darcy Kemper. So my biggest fear was... When you lose Jordan Bennington, you lose your advantage that you had in net, and that was something that was so important for the Blues coming into this series, because you had to have an advantage somewhere. You knew they were going to have the superstars. You've got Nathan McKinnon. He was bound to have one of those games like you saw in game number five. They've got that depth of scoring. We saw that with Nazem Kadri. Like, they've got some things that are difficult to be able to defend, and if you've got that goalie that can stand on his head, okay, I feel better about the Blues being able to overcome that, but... Right now, you don't have a deficit in net, and that's about as important as I could go, go with this because when I look at Ville Husso compared to Darcy Kemper, that is, that's a draw. Th- those two guys are basically the same right now. I've got some of the same questions about Ville that I do about Darcy and net for the Colorado avalan- Avalanche. The big thing, though, is now it's going to come down to your 5-on-5. Five five. You've got to be able to win there, and maybe more importantly, Alex, the Blues all year long were able to pride themselves on their special teams. And in game number five, that was one place where the Blues did not perform particularly well. The Abs were able to score one of their three power plays, and the Blues scored on none of theirs. So two for three on the penalty kill, 0 for three on the power play. If the Blues are going to be able to – A, beat Darcy Kemper, and B, get back to being the team that they need to be, you've got to get better on special teams in this one tonight as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that they had success at even strength in Game 5 because it was an area that I think they were just maybe a little um, insecure about because their power play was really all that was garnering offense against the Colorado Avalanche. But now you really need your power play to come through because this is one of those games that it just – It feels an awful lot like a 2-1 final score or something like that, a low-scoring game, although I might be wrong in that sense because both goaltenders are uh, liable to give up a lot of goals, but your power play pun intended can be an advantage for you in the circumstance. And you just haven't had that in the last couple of games. And I liked what Baruby said yesterday with the media, they asked him about the power play struggles. And he said, look, we're getting chances. We're just not skating. Yep. And sometimes that comes to be being maybe a little too confident with your power play of feeling like the bounces are going to go your way. You don't get bounces unless you're working for those bounces. And that's what they were doing when their power play was so successful. I know people are, or some people are skeptical of Colton Pareko on the power play. He's not a Tory Krug. He's not a Scott Perunovic. I'll be honest with you. I'm one of them. Yeah, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he's not going to make that pass that Scott Perunovic made to David Perron the other night on the power play. He's not Tory Krug that's going to be creating those opportunities. But what he does is what I think has been successful against R.C. Kemper, and it's— you put bodies in front of him, and he takes that slap shot, regardless if it's going towards the net, you're going to find a way to get deflections, and if you don't, somebody's going to block that shot, and somebody's going to have to pay for that, and I think those are both benefits for the Blues, so power play-wise, I think you just, it's, it's an opportunity for you to create momentum, but you also need to stay out of the penalty box, because Colorado's power play has scored a power play goal, I think, in the last three games. That's something that's starting to heat up also. That first
0: unit is just ridiculous. The amount of no. talent that they have on that group is... Like they injured. don't even need
3: to to shoot the puck
0: it's just all of the passes end up in the back of the net yeah and then like to your point on uh Pareco, the way that this typically works with Baruby is when there's a decision that he makes that is I mean at at a minimum it's it's questionable in terms of what you would rather do do you go with Pareco, do you go with Letty you can make an argument either way typically the way this works is Pareko is going to score a goal tonight on the power play oh yeah that it's kind of how it goes in the past with the Craig Berube decision like this. So I was that, say people that
3: question Craig Berube should uh, should just stop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes, we are going to dive into the junk drawer. But next, I think yesterday might have been the end to the experiment. We'll tell you what that is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
1: Right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: It's more like uh, just
4: after the fact, and then you have four days to like manage it and, and get back right. So I've, it's been like a after I pitch, sore, and then just progressively gets better as I go throughout the week. Um, so that's why it hasn't really been too much concern for me. It's more like just
0: part of being a pitcher um, just working through things. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and Brandon Kylie. That was Jordan Hicks yesterday talking about his IL stint that he is about to go on. All right, that is actually beginning now. 15 day IL for Hicks with a forearm strain is what they are labeling it as. Here's some quotes from Ollie Marmel on the decision. He told this to The Athletic and Katie Wu, our Cardinals insider who you hear weekly here on 101 ESPN on Monday mornings. Ollie Marmel said, quote, When you evaluate his start and he's throwing more balls than strikes or it's close closer to 50-50. It's just hard for him to sustain having any sort of longevity to that. It forces us to use our bullpen, and we have several starters that have forced that. He also said, quote, I think it's very clear on the fact that he needs to command the baseball. He needs to command his fastball in order for him to get deeper into games our bullpen isn't getting that usage that they're currently getting. It was definitely something that was up for consideration moving him to the bullpen if continuing to start him or moving him to the pin was the best option. So That decision has now been put off. He's going to, at least for the next two weeks, be on the injured list. And then, according to the team, it's possible he could go down to the minors for a rehab stint after that as well to be able to potentially work on his command. So it serves two different explanations. One, uh, he's clearly hurt. I don't know how serious it is, but he's hurt nonetheless, and he's feeling some of that soreness. So it buys you some time there. And then two... When he's able to come back, maybe you do get him a couple of opportunities to go down to the minors and hone in on that command. Guys, the problem for him, it is command, but that's always been an issue for Jordan Hicks. His walk rate this year isn't all that much higher than it has been for him in his past as well. Even when he was really good in 2018, he was walking about 13% of the batters that he faced. Even when he was really good then, He wasn't striking out a whole lot of guys either. It was a 20% strikeout rate. What he did a great job of was basically what Miles Michaelis has been for his career here in St. Louis, which is managing the batted balls that are against him. He does not allow hard contact when Jordan Hicks is right. And this year, he's allowed a lot of hard contact, especially against his sinker. It's never been a pitch that misses a whole lot of bats, but because of that velocity and the amount of movement that he gets on it, nobody can barrel it up. And this year... He's getting barrels against that thing regularly. And that's the problem for him. Does he need to have better command? 100% absolutely. I would never disagree with that. But if you move him to the bullpen, the thing you've really got to get figured out is how he can get back to having that same amount of movement that he had on his slider per, or that sinker previously. And if he can avoid the barrels that he's been having against him so far this year. If you can do that, that guy can be in your pitching staff, just probably not as a starter. Any yeah,
3: longer. I, I'm kind of past the Jordan Hicks as a rotation picture for you just because I, I feel like we've learned all we need to learn and there's other guys that I'm still wanting to find out who they are. Jake Woodford, Johan Oviedo, Anja Rondone, Zach Thompson, Matthew Levatore. Now I know you're dealing you didn't with mention Packy Naughton who I think is going to get the
8: next one. Or star, Connor Thomas. That's the one that really bugs me.
3: Connor Thomas just needs to stay where he's at and do what he's doing. Packy Naughton whoa. is a uh Packy Naughton is a great uh, one off, but I don't feel like that is going to be a, a consistent rotation. I agree. Packy Naughton is a TJ McFarlane for me. That that's what I feel like he is. And maybe you get more innings out of him from your bullpen. But I, I just, I, I think right now you're dealing with injuries, Jack Flaherty, Stephen Matz, and, and you're going to have to, to, to spot fill these a little bit. And you're getting Matthew
0: Libator here. And did I, did I read that Jake Woodford's getting, one of the starts he's back he's not going to get a start it doesn't sound like he's going to be used out of the bullpen while he is here um so he's going to be able to give them length especially as you've got over the next couple of days a hudson and a liberator start and then monday of course yeah. you'll potentially have i think it's going to be Packy Naughton. if i had to guess that would be the guy that i would assume will end up getting that start um so you're, you're going to need jake woodford he's going to have to provide you some innings the way that last night you saw that from andre palante i think that's going to be his role something similar
3: and so that's what we're going to get out of this Right now, but I just I, I think we have seen everything we need to see from Jordan Hicks as a starter. I don't think it makes much se- much sense to send him down to the minors other than a rehab, just to make sure he's good to go. But you don't need to send him down to keep them keep him lengthened out because it just doesn't feel like an Alex Reyes situation to me. Jordan Hicks feels oh, like no, a sure. bullpen pitcher to me right now, and from there, I just think the Cardinals need to find out what else they've got in their arsenal, like to sit here and sit and go back with the same guys over and over and over. It just doesn't make much sense. Let's see what some of these other guys can handle in the rotation.
8: Yeah, I'm with you a hundred percent. I think the starting experience is done for Jordan Hicks. I, I really hope they turn to Zach Thompson for that start on Monday. Now, I don't know how, where he is in terms of like when his next start is supposed to be scheduled. So maybe it's just off, but he would be a guy that I would want to see up. I want to see some of the kids start. Cause I, I agree with Alex's assessment that Notton's more of a bullpen arm. I mean, so far this year, the only runs he gave up was when he started against Baltimore in that spot start. So in my opinion, he's going to be more of a bullpen arm. If you want length, try some of the guys that are down there like the Oviedo's or the Thompsons or the Thomases that are stretched out. I, I think that should be the route that they should consider going to, again, it just it depends on where they are in their turn, but on, on the Jordan Hicks front, what I will find fascinating when he comes back, because I agree, he's going to the bullpen when he returns and is healthy. What I'll be curious to see is if they decide to go with the long relief role for Jordan Hicks, because that was the whole reasoning behind the making him a starter experience, because they wanted him on a starter schedule, because in theory it was going to keep him healthy. Well, it, well didn't it didn't work, he's hurt, but I wonder if they'll try that again when he goes to the bullpen, because I don't, I don't see them moving him to the bullpen and him becoming like the eighth-inning setup guy that's throwing 105 again, and then they can use him in back-to-back day scenarios where they use him every other day. I think they'll try and spread out his usage. It'll just be a matter of how many innings are you going to get from him in the bullpen. I think he's better off as just a one-inning type pitcher, but the Cardinals seem to think that they – I don't know if it's more of the skill or just keeping him healthy. They view him better as a guy that throws multiple innings. I think it's about the rest. like It's exactly about getting the, the
0: most amount that you can while – giving him that same amount of rest. And so if he's only going to be able to pitch every three or four days, are we better suited going with him as a high leverage one inning guy in that three or four day stretch? Or is it better for us to get maybe two or three innings out of him that day and then go four full days of rest, and then you can go back to him. It does make things a little more difficult in terms of the management of the bullpen for Ollie Marmel, if that's the route they decide to go but he is so important but man the, the other thing that you got to consider here is they're already doing some of that right now they've talked about how they are doing some load management this season with Ryan Helsley to make sure that he is good to go for the long haul this season if you're doing that with Helsley and you're doing that with Jordan Hicks when he's out there you're starting to really deplete some of your options that are available to you on a day-to-day basis so that it is going to be difficult for him to go ahead and go about it that way but Guys like Andre Palante, and Drew Verhagen, and if Jake Woodford stays here for a little bit longer, they provide a little more flexibility coming out of the pin. Tanner, to your question on Zach Thompson, I did look up when he started most recently. It was May 25th, so a couple of days ago he started. He has been going on five days rest down in the minors. They've been going with um, a six-man rotation, essentially, down in AAA. So he would technically be slated to start on the 31st, which is Tuesday. The game that they're kind of looking at right now is having this spot start would be on Monday the 30th. So he might be able to do it. I still think, though, based on everything that we heard yesterday from the Cardinals, my expectation would be that ends up being a not and start. Whether we like it or not, I, I think that's probably the route that they decide to go.
3: And I'm fine with Paki starting. I thought Paki did a really good job when he made that start for the Cardinals when they needed him to. I just felt like it went one too many innings for him.
0: Uh, he's it's a, an opener. Yeah, if you he's go a, with Paki-Notten, he's not a real starter. He's an opener.
3: Yeah, he's a two- or three-inning guy. This needs to be a one-off, and then after that, you need to be bringing people up to figure out who they are in your system rather than continue to play the same guys, and then we go into the offseason and talk about the same guys over and over. Well, this might be their opportunity to start.
8: I agree with you there. What will be interesting with the Packy not situation... I don't think situation you did. With, well, no, well, I thought BK was going to say something. Sorry, I'm not there with you guys. No,
3: we're used to that.
8: Uh, but the, if they're going to go with the opener with Packy not... I think they're going to stretch him out to the point where you were saying where you thought they went one inning too long with him. They're probably going to have to do that again this time around because they're going to get short starts. More than likely, I think, tonight with Dakota Hudson, you're probably going to get a short start with a Matthew Libertor. I mean, they're going to be burning through this bullpen at a rapid but pace here. that's why Jake
0: Woodford's here, right? Because, like, if you do get a short start from Dakota Hudson tonight, you should be able to get three innings out of Woodford. So then you, you don't have – you, know you, you amount to a longer start. But flip the that open. then.
3: Flip that then. Jake Woodford should be getting the start in place of Packy Naughton, and Packy Naughton should be the guy that's coming out of the bullpen
0: You know what's you. interesting to me? I don't know why, but I don't think they want him to be a starter. I think that we like at some point we have to listen to their actions and at every turn they have told us with their actions that they just don't view Jake Woodford the same way that the rest of but us. But
3: then do. when you hear John Mozalek speak about their pitching depth, Jake Woodford's name always gets brought
0: up. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't I don't totally understand it. You know what with I you think? You guys, I would go with Jake Woodford on Monday. I think he's their best possible option. Agreed. Of the of the realistic candidates. I don't think they're calling up Zach Thompson, even if I would like to see that. I don't think they're going to call up Connor Thomas. I don't think Yoan Oviedo is an option at this point, just because he's struggled down there at triple a. I, I don't think he's a guy that they're going to bring up for a start here at the major league level. I think the guy that deserves it is on hell Rondon after what we saw from him in his last appearance, but it would require them to circumvent the rules, and they can't do that right now because he has to wait whatever it is, the two weeks 15 before, days, yeah. before he can come back up again. So You I, know what this sounds like? Philosophical differences. Oh, <laughs> no, boy. no, 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 no. Let's not get into that. It's just a tough spot. So if you're not going to use Jake Woodford there, the guy that ends up making the most sense for them is Packy Naughton. And I do think that puts him a little bit behind the eight ball because what you're probably going to see on Monday, and this is against a pretty good team and a team that has a legit MVP candidate in San Diego with Manny Machado, you're going to see Packy not get the start most likely. And then they probably go to Drew Verhagen, who I I, I don't know about you guys. That but That sounds I, like I a
8: loss on Monday.
0: Yeah, I don't love that. It almost feels like a scheduled loss. Sounds like you're mailing it in, and I don't think we should be mailing in anything right now. So that that gets you maybe through five, maybe six, and now you're just going to be counting on a big time start on Tuesday from Wayno. Otherwise, that's where the innings deficit really starts to hit them because you can't call up Rondone, you can't call back up at that point. Most likely, I'm guessing they would have sent down uh, Jake Woodford to get a new uh, a new arm in there. Just starts getting a little difficult, and this is where they're starting to need some of these guys to come back off of the IL ASAP, um, because the the innings just they've got to get them from somewhere, and it's not just innings, it's quality innings.
3: Maybe they need to take uh, Kramer Robertson off the forty man roster and put another pitcher on that forty man roster. Whoa,
8: whoa! Sorry, I'm sorry. That I'm was sorry. uncalled. For.
0: Hey, I'll be the bad guy and say it. I do think that at some point in time in the not too distant future, you're going to have to call up Zach Thompson. Yeah, I, I feel like. We, th-
8: can we also point out, too, to a no. catcher that should be DFA'd? And not Whoa. not the three, but they're, they're carrying four catchers on their 40-man. And fine. they made it clear that they want Avon Herrera to be the third guy right Ali now. Sanchez. So I don't understand the point of the Alley Sanchez. Look, he did his job when he was here to wait by time to be that third catcher yeah, he hit went for double. Herrera. Exactly. But I don't understand the point of carrying the four catchers right now. If, so, he's ahead he, of Robertson, in my opinion. So the the guys
0: that, if you're looking at the 40-man roster and you're wondering to yourself, who could they potentially make room for uh, by making moves on their 40-man roster? The guys that are most likely probably to be candidates for that, Ali Sanchez, probably Kramer Robertson, and then it gets dicey. And that's where we get into the decisions on Corey Dickerson and on... uh, Edmundo Sosa. Don't. That's where those start to come.
3: I'd in have way. to look, but I thought other major league baseball teams do that as well, where you have four catchers on your
0: 40-man roster in case of multiple injuries. They could, and the the thing is, like it just depends on if you've got like three top prospects that are available to you that are required Say, to be on your 40-man. It,
8: it made roster. sense last year because you had yeah. to protect protect Herrera you didn't think he was ready because you think he was in double a last year for majority of the year so you had to have that other guy in case you had an injury or something like that but now i'm not sure it just makes much sense to have four when Herrera was clearly the guy that they wanted up ahead of ali sanchez when they put him on the taxi squad and called him up what last week or earlier this week yeah
0: so it it, the cardinals are running into that innings deficit once again and they've got a big weekend ahead of them with the brewers in town and then after that you've got the the games against san diego it it's a big stretch for the Cardinals right now, finding out what kind of a team they are, and they're doing so without exactly a healthy 100% roster. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Blues' fourth line might have changed the trajectory of the series in game number five. Can they continue that with a new look coming into game number six? We'll talk about that coming up at 1 o'clock. The Junk Drawer, those coming up next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. A Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union.
4: Pay yourself with every purchase. Open an Achieve It checking account today.
0: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Connor McGehee, ball. coming up here in about five minutes or so. He's the play-by-play broadcaster for the Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche. I don't you know what happened that? there. Don't worry about are it. We're French? moving right along. Oh, I've the got Avalanche. You're coming to town and I to get some avocado toast. <laughs> I've got an update on my birds. Bird's the word. Let's hear it. You guys know I've been dealing with some birds in my uh, attic. Didn't know where <laughs> you were going to go there. I'm glad you said sure. her <laughs> for the last time. <laughs> how birds get show, there? I figured it out, boys. They're dead. There was an entrance to my attic that I was unaware of until literally yesterday afternoon when I got home. <laughs> so you know how Tanner was saying, I don't understand how you can't get up to that area in your attic. It doesn't make any sense to me. You should have access to every part of your attic. Amen. He was right. Amen. He was 100% Tanner.
3: correct. Tanner's not even a homeowner. <laughs>
0: You're right. Uh, he is yeah, much well, more of a man of than I will ever BK. be. Come on. Yeah, it's very embarrassing. <laughs> I went into my pantry yesterday, looked up, and I was like, I'll be damned. <laughs> There's an interest <laughs> to my attic up there. in your pantry? It's um, weird. And it turns out there were definitely birds in there. Oh, yeah. Did you find the nest? Oh, yeah. Big yep. Nest? Uh, well, it has all been kind of torn apart at this point. It was just the remnants so, of what previously so once was. So coyote probably progressed. got up there and Maybe. ate them all. I don't know what it was. I'm not going to ask any questions. I can tell you this. I shook things around up there, made sure I wasn't getting all, what'd you shake? My attic, the the entrance. I, How'd you shake the attic? The, the roof, the area that is like cut out so that way you can enter uh-huh. through the attic. I went, <sighs> just like that. And then
3: you just expect birds that are probably
0: parked away from that spot are just going to freak out yeah I, well, I, I figured they would at least make a noise if they were up there still and they didn't so oh, um, there was what do you no- think birds are bats that hear echoes they typically made noise when they heard us in our house whenever I got home they would make noise so I decided let's see if we can get this thing going a little bit there was nothing that made did noise. you look did you bring a flashlight with you I did so I, I went up into the the uh, the entrance there nothing nothing there so we closed up all of the uh, the entrances that they had, of course, with some duct tape. <laughs> and uh, now oh, they can't get in, back. Alex. Yeah, that'll So I need to get some chicken wire this weekend. And our long nightmare of birds being in my house has officially come to a conclusion. We did
8: it. We I, did I, it,
0: boys. I, I we overcame. Over.
8: I still can't get over you didn't even know you could get up there. I was like, there's no That's chance the everybody has a part that they can get up there. They don't just build it up there and go, yeah. oh, you know what? May never need to get up here in case. Yeah. How do people get into your
0: attic if there's no entrance in your house? Well, there's two though. The one that I I knew we had, you can't see to the other side of the attic uh, fan. The other side, though, I was unaware of, and that's where uh, that's where I was able to get into last night. So wanted to share that proud with of both man. of you i'm proud of i you. know it's been a uh something that's been really weighing you down yeah. sounds over like the last it should have been weeks. solved about a week and a half yeah, ago I was gonna Say sounds like the <laughs> first thing you found out there were birds attic. so the the good thing for all involved is that i didn't know that we had it for so long otherwise i probably would have died by pecking is that a joke the birds would have pecked me to death in my attic oh it's funny. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, has the Blues' that fourth man. line changed the trajectory of this series? We'll get to that coming up at 1:15. Oh, coming up next, though, we're going to talk to Connor McCahey, play-by-play broadcaster for the Colorado Avalanche. He joins us next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Inside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are going out to the Brown and Crippen celebrity line to be joined by the play-by-play broadcaster for the Colorado Avalanche, Connor McGahee. Connor, I got to tell you, we listened to a lot of your calls from game number five, both the ups and the downs. And I got to tell you, the call that you made on Nathan McKinnon's goal for the hat trick, one of the best plays we've seen <laughs> in these pl- uh, the playoffs, was one of the better calls that we will hear in these playoffs. So kudos yeah. to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. How you doing today, man?
4: Oh, thanks, BK. I appreciate that, Alex, as well. Very, very kind of you to say, I mean, puberty is tough. When you go through it, it's <laughs> rough. And so, yeah, when you get there, <laughs> you'll know. Uh, but, no, honestly, you know. In all seriousness, very kind of you to say. Yeah, and that that game sure had its ups and its downs. And uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I felt both. That's that's for sure.
3: Also, pass along to Mark Mosier uh, on the broadcast with you. I thoroughly enjoyed his. You got to be kidding me on that tie goal. Yeah. I love emotion when you get him on a broadcast like that.
4: Yeah, no, and uh, ours has no lack of that. Let's uh, let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, <laughs> we had never a dull moment here at uh, Altitude Sports Radio.
3: So, so. Uh, Connor, with that being said and talking about the emotions on the broadcast, this series has been so interesting to me because, you know, you start off and both teams win games in one and two, and then the emotions take over in games three and games four. The Blues kind of lose their way once Bennington exits that game, and then they're focused on Nazem Kadri in game number four. And game number five, Colorado loses it a little bit when they felt like the game was over and McKinnon scored that hat trick. This game is so interesting to me on both sides because – now both teams know, like, the focus has to be on the ice and not elsewhere.
4: Totally. And that's why it's hard to predict which way it's going to go, right? Because both of these teams, we've seen what happens when they settle down and they and they do what they're supposed to do and they play how they're supposed to play. Um, the, the game goes their way. And so that's why tonight is so fascinating from so many aspects and... Um, uh, both teams have learned lessons, big and small, inside of the series. And, yeah, tonight is a a fascinating game uh, from both perspectives. Um, But, yeah, I I just think that, you know, momentum really hasn't been a a huge part of the series. I mean, we all watched the Battle of Alberta come to a conclusion last night, and the Flames win game one, but then it was all Oilers after that. And Calgary was not really able to to put a stop to it. This has definitely been more back and forth. And and the road team, if we're being honest, has been more successful. I mean, the Blues almost win game one in overtime. So it's it's, it's, it's almost, you know, the road team wins every single game, which is, is not where we're used to. So um, the short answer would be I have no idea what's going to happen.
0: What do you find most interesting, though? Like, what's the thing? We we have so many different angles that, of course, we've been covering from the Blues perspective. From the ab side of things, what's something you're going to be honing in on as you get into the broadcast tonight, Connor?
4: Well, I just think that uh, I, I, they had one chance to close it out. Didn't happen. Um, and now they have another chance to close it out. And if they're not able to do that, they'll have a third chance to close it out. <laughs> so I just... From, from an avalanche perspective, um, and look, I, I still don't necessarily buy into the, well, it's the second round demons. Jared Bednar said it best. He goes, our opponent is in the second round. It's whoever's on the other end of the ice in this time. It's the St. Louis Blues. And I, I just think I'm interested to see the growth from this team the past couple of years, to see if it, it applies itself here tonight. And if The avalanche, take Ted Lasso's advice and have the memory of a goldfish
3: memory of a goldfish and I think the Blues are going with that one as well and you know Connor the goaltending aspect of this when we talked with you before the series began about Darcy Kemper and just his uh, just his aura with this team and now that we've seen it in the series you know it's interesting because he and Husso look very similar just in their style of play and what mm-hmm. kind of takes place in front of the net what have you seen at least these last few games from Darcy Kemper?
4: Well, frankly, we haven't talked about him at all, which I think if you're a team, that may be a good thing. Um, he, because he, he, he wasn't giving up a ton of – I mean, the goals that went in, I, I'm not sure that you know there's a ton of eyebrow raising, and, and maybe a little bit of that after game number five, especially on the overtime winner. But I mean for the most part, it has been a conversation piece, uh, Darcy Kemper. But Jared Bednar saying this morning, he said, Darcy has the ability to win a game on his own. And I believe he can do that. Um, We had a game in Edmonton uh, in March towards the end of the season where Darcy Kemper makes a career high in saves. Um, The Avalanche are shorthanded in overtime against that high-powered power play for the Edmonton Oilers. And Darcy Kemper makes 11 saves. The Avalanche didn't have a single shot on goal in the overtime. Kemper makes 11 saves in the OT and then stops all three shootout attempts to win the game for the Avalanche. So that's the type of goaltender that is in there for Colorado. And I think he's got a short memory, too. And if he's required to step up and have a big night, I firmly believe that he can do that.
0: Connor, going into game five, the thing that I feared was that being the Nathan McKinnon, Kale McCarr game, because we Uh, hadn't seen that in the first four games of the series. And, you know, eventually he's going to get his. He's going to make a play that makes everybody stop in their uh, in their shoes and just look be uh, say uh, wow <laughs> how did that happen and we saw that in game five what is the thing going into game number six that based on your assessment you would think that abs fans are worried about from the blue side of things or is there anything well um, i mean i think that to be honest and i'm not i'm not trying to
4: be a jerk by any stretch of sure. the imagination you know me i just think that that i as good as Colorado has been all year, um, they've run into some good opponents, but it's mainly been avalanche mistakes that have led to losses so that's why I think that um that they're focused on on that aspect of things i mean don't get me wrong the blues have i mean so many weapons that can kill you I mean now Robert Thomas is alive, right We haven't seen him all uh really all playoffs until last game i mean. Pavel Buchnevich was, was not really visible, at least from my spectator's eye in the Minnesota series, and now he leads the Blues with points in this series with seven. Um, so he's feeling it. I mean, Tarasenko gets that that uh, that comeback going the other night, and, and we saw what he did in Game 5 versus Minnesota to pretty much win that series for St. Louis. So I, I think there are plenty of things to be afraid of from the Blues. But like I said, when we started things off, both teams when they play the way that they're supposed to can win the game on their own. I I just think that Colorado with as outstanding of a season as they've had when they've been on the tip top, I mean, they could take on the best of the best sticking with our top gun theme with top gun Maverick (laughs) coming out last night. Um, They've been the best of the best. So I think if, if their game is rather mistake free, that's what they're worried about. And, in, in that vein, they can, they can defend really any attack that comes from the St. Louis Blues, but they also know that there are, are plenty of weapons from the other side that need to be neutralized.
3: Uh, final one from me, Connor. And with that being said, you know, the matter of fact is Nathan McKinnon was held scoreless in the first four games, Cale McCarr, um, and Miko Rantanen has been another one that has been yeah. kind of silent. What have you noticed from the Blues angle, what they've been doing so well to hold those guys uh, scoreless?
4: You know, it's funny. Well, I, was, I was just before I came on with you guys, I was just on uh, Sportsnet 590 in Toronto, and we were talking about Miko Rantanen. Uh, he's the only player to have points in every single game this series. Nobody wow. else does but but that's again you don't notice him you yeah. don't notice him right um which I, I guess that's maybe expected when you're when you're out there with a player like Hale McCard Ethan McKinnon. Your style is just not as flashy as those two, but it's efficient and obviously the empty net goal with one point one seconds to go in game four that I mean, counted or not, but everything else has been playmaking from Miko Ranton. So, like we were talking about with Nathan McKinnon waiting for him to come alive, I mean, Carr really hasn't had a big game yet, Miko Ranton. But I do think that in regards to eight, he's used to having more space um, high in the zone. And I'll tell you what, every time that the puck comes to him, there's always a blues forward um, within a stick's reach. And as good as Kale McCarry is, it it just makes it a little more difficult to get around that first layer that they've applied to him. Um, And for Miko Rantanen, uh, I mean, there are so many tough defenders at the forward position and defensemen that are involved in those wall battles. And and Rantanen as big and as strong as he is, just needs to know that he needs to make that extra, extra effort downshift a little bit and get through um, what, what St. Louis has been doing. And again, it's, it's just a work thing for him, and I think it's maybe a creativity thing for Kale McCarr because defensively, what Craig Berube has done and deployed against most of the superstars in this series has been extremely effective. Um, but I, I think in regards to those two in particular, maybe uh, they just have to be a little bit more unpredictable with how they play to get around that defensive system that's been set up against them.
0: Connor, I know it's a relatively short trip for you out here to St. Louis, but we'll get you out of here on this. Is there anything in particular you enjoy doing while you're in town? You know, um, I was kind of bummed, especially between
4: three and four, that the Cards were in Pittsburgh, and the one game that they had against the Jays was game number four. Uh, Didn't get to take in a game over there at Bush Stadium. That would have been nice. Um, But, you know, I hit hit a couple spots for food, you know, Broadway Oyster Bar has always won the barbecue shrimp. I can't say no to. I have to have it. You know, uh, I'm a big frozen custard guy, and you know, there's uh, there's a couple options there. I know that uh, they're on the. Fence Alex is a big fan. of Ted that. Drews, oh, yeah. Connor, it's all <laughs> Ted <laughs> Drews, baby. Ted Drews, and then I, I love the name Mister Wizards, of course. But uh, so yeah, no, it's it's usually a a, a dining uh, experience every time I come through town. But uh, but everything is always delicious.
3: Always love- delicious. Connor, we love catching up with you, buddy. And again, props to those goal calls in Game 5 because, man, they were so fun to listen to. Uh, even with it being on the other side, it was still enjoyable for us. So uh, all the best of luck in this one tonight, man. I'm hoping that we see a Game 7 and just keep this entertainment going. And we always love catching up with you, buddy. So have fun tonight.
4: Likewise, guys. But I will disagree with you. I would love to just... Be done after tonight. My heart can't take
3: it. <laughs> hey, believe me, mine can't either, man. So if it was possible for blues in six, I'd say the exact same thing. Exactly right. And I'll do my best
4: not to sound like the sixth grade version of myself tonight. I, I was that.
3: being serious. It was great. We loved it. Hey, so man, man, we- Ener- any energy like that, even if you gotta go back to puberty, it's yeah, okay right. with us. Yeah, yeah we- we've yep, all sure been did. There.
0: <laughs> it's Connor McGay, play-by-play broadcaster for the Colorado Avalanche, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Genuinely, one of yeah. the best in the business. Always enjoy having him on the show. You
3: know, I didn't know that about Rantanen, that he's got points in every game. But That's crazy. So, but what's so funny about that is you can say the exact same thing about Pavel Bucinavich.
0: I was about to make that exact same comp. It is so similar in the way that their production has come, but the goal scoring yep.
3: hasn't. Everyone will say, well, where's Pavel been?" Because he's only got one goal in the series and it was on the power play. But on the flip side of that, you could say the same thing about and The yep. one goal on the pen, on the uh, empty netter that Connor mentioned, but both guys have been probably the most productive, with the exception for the Blues of O'Reilly and David Perron. Bucinavich has been the next most productive player for this series.
0: I also loved what he said about Kale McCarr and how he just doesn't have the same amount of time and space in this series as he has had in the past. That guy's reminds, been O'Reilly on him, too. It definitely has been, and it reminds me a little bit his struggles. And I don't even know if you can call it struggles. He's still been a good player oh, yeah. for them, but... Uh, The way that he has lacked that space and the ability to make those plays, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what Robert Thomas was struggling through earlier on in the playoffs up until game number five. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, chess match goes in game six. You'll hear it all right here in your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Puck drop starting at 7.0. Alex Tanner and myself will have pregame coverage for you starting at 6 o'clock. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of one's got to go. 65780 is the air comfort service X line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. But next, Blues are switching up the fourth line tonight after it had maybe its best game in these playoffs. What does that mean? How are they going to keep that chemistry going? We'll tell you next. You're on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
5: Yeah, I mean, he's been a guy that's been really good for us all playoffs and before that, too, obviously. But uh, he's got such great speed and uh, details to his game that, uh, you know, with the Tarasenko goal, he's standing at the net front again. You know, he's around the net. He's hard on pucks in the corner so we keep a puck alive. And then the, the next goal, same thing. He's on the forecheck. check. He's skating. He's around the net again. He makes a play to the net. We get another goal. Like, he's a real detailed guy that um, has great skating ability and great size. I love the guy. I love playing him. I love using them in, in different situations, and I used them last night in some key situations, and he came through for us.
0: That was Craig Baruby on with the fast lane yesterday. If you missed any of their conversation, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. That is also where you will find the podcast from our show later on today. There are just certain players, Alex, that when Craig Baruby talks about him, he just has this glow about himself, and Alexei Toropchenko is one of those players, and he is now being moved up to that third line. He played there briefly in the third period, and then overtime as well uh, with Shin and Kairu in Game 5, and he's going to start there in Game 6. Doesn't mean he ends there. If it doesn't go well, they could always move things back around. We've seen that in-game before, but I really like the decision. I think Alexei Toropchenko is the type of player that can create more space, potentially, for a Jordan Kairu. I think he's going to help Shin I think Shin could potentially benefit from this as well I think this is the type of game that he maybe ends up getting his first goal in this series I like the move I think it makes a lot of sense and I think Barbie he's been a physical presence but the offense has been lacking a bit in this series and in these playoffs I think he makes a lot of sense for the fourth line as well. I like the moves. Alex, what did you think about the decision?
3: I like the moves as well. I mean, in all reality, Ivan Barbashev just has not created a whole lot of offense. He's only got three shots on goal so far in this series against the Avalanche. And Alexei Toropchenko, although he doesn't have a ton more shots on goal he has the ability to create more offense than Ivan Barbashev at least in the short term of what we've seen there's a reason Ivan Barbashev scored 25 plus goals it's just had, it just hasn't come through right now for the Colorado Avalanche series so I like the move because with Alexei Torpchenko, you're not only adding size, you're adding speed, and you're adding a guy who has the ability to put the puck in front of the net. And I'm not talking about a guy who can just shoot it, I'm talking about a guy who can make passes, who goes to the front of the net. He plays very similar to the Brayton Chen style that just always seems to go to the front of the net. So I like this decision on the third line end, but I like this decision on the fourth line end as well because you're not just moving a guy who had a bad season and you were hoping for something to happen, you're moving a 25-plus goal scorer to the fourth line to play with a guy who has playmaking ability in Tyler Bozak and another guy who goes to the front of the net Nathan Walker. So I think you're benefiting
0: both lines in this decision if you're Craig Baruch. The other thing that I like about Toropchenko is, I don't even know how I would look this up or how, how many he's created this postseason, but it seems like he creates those freezes with the puck as well. And then that sets up a potential offensive zone face-off where you can get those set That's shots going. on goal. And that's just, it's something that I really like about the way that he plays is driving to the front of the net consistently. So I like the fact that they're going to get him some potential for more playing time in this game. And I'll be interested to see how that goes early on in the th- uh, the first period. It'll also help them dictate the matchups as they're back here on home ice as well. Alex, the other thing that I wanted to get into here for tonight's game is just, We talked so much about how impressive that was in terms of the comeback in Game 5 and how now you have to take advantage of that. It's one thing to get that comeback. It's another thing entirely to be able to capitalize on it by coming back in this series. I mean, you think back to, like, the the Brad Lidge moment where Albert Pools hits that home run. They didn't go on to win that series against the Astros. You go back to 1986, you have the Monday Night Miracle. Didn't finish that one off either. You got to find a way to be able to make this one different. You've got to make this your game six, where 2011, you win game six, but you also won game seven. You took care of business afterwards, and that's the tougher part of this. It's one thing to come back. Now the tougher part begins where you got to do it two more times against this team. It starts tonight in game number six, and that ain't going to be an easy thing to do.
3: No, and all, it, it looks like a daunting challenge if you're a just common NHL fan to sit here and say... Down 3-1 in a series already is tough, but you're down 3-1 against an Avalanche team that was so good in the regular season. But I could say, say the same thing about what the New York Rangers were going through against Pittsburgh. They were down 3-1 in that series, and they were in Pittsburgh for game number six, which could have ended it, and the Rangers found a way to do it. Now, and you I- know what happened?
0: The other team's goalie broke. Mm-hmm. Louis Domingue was playing above his head early on in that series, and they needed him to step up in a big, big way. And eventually it was just too much. It
3: but they also much. couldn't overcome the adversity of losing impactful players. Like Sidney Crosby missed the
0: five and six. I was trying to make the similar, you know, the Darcy Kemper comparison. He's maybe breaking right now. I got now. what maybe you're going what for there, b game. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was trying to give it down that same. We don't have come to talk about real? the Crosby yeah, thing. <laughs> kind
3: of, was kind of like the, <laughs> that was a part of it. it. <laughs> kind of like the pecking order. Uh, I just must have went right over my head on <laughs> that's that right one here. But, uh, look, I, I mean, it's not an easy challenge. But I think the Blues did the actual, in my opinion, what? The second toughest part of this, maybe the most toughest it, it, now that I'm thinking about it, because like you want an elimination game in their home building. That's a game that Colorado's sitting there going, we got this, guys. Like we've dominated them and you didn't just beat them. You came back multiple times to break their will in that game. This is one of those games that I feel like home ice is going to be on the blue side. And then it comes down to a game seven, which is not him. Thank you very much, which in all reality, Game 7, I mean, nobody has an advantage in that. I don't care if it's on Colorado ice or not because the Blues would have all the momentum there. So this is an important game. This is one of those games that you can really kill the will of the Colorado Avalanche, and you can make them second-guess the fact that now we got to go back to our building. Like, we got to do this a third time to try and eliminate this opponent. That's the jam the knife into the brain thing, and if
0: you miss two opportunities, I don't know how easy the third chance is. Hey, speaking of second-guessing decisions, I think the is going to be second-guessing their decision not to ask us back for the home run derby when ah! they take on the Rizzuto show for Are the we? softball home run derby Maybe hosted me. by the O'Fallon Hoots. It's coming up on June 4th at Car Shield Field in O'Fallon, Missouri. It's all presented by Mattress Direct. There will be a fast pitch home run derby that night as well, featuring Rick Anke. Oh, you could be Ray in that Lang, one. Daniel Descalso and Rafael for call. GA tickets on sale right now for just $15. You don't want to see me hitting any fast pitch <laughs> or slow pitch home run derby. Get all the details at 101ESPN.com. t had to turn his mic on just to laugh at
3: you uh, yeah.
8: for that Guys, comment. I, I feel like the fast pitch decision to replace you is going to be viewed more as like a Perubi move where like you don't second guess and it works out well.
3: All I know is they couldn't have competed last year, but not for me, not for BK and me.
8: So in other words, they just called a like have had double A hit. Two a mannequins,
3: Alex, and it literally would have gone the exact same uh, way. Mannequin yeah. would not have been able to hit the top of the wall like I did.
8: Uh, there's still debate on if that actually occurred. God,
3: that fan that was there, the one that was chirping me, he was the one that pushed it back over.
0: I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit back on this anymore. A mannequin might have had the same fewer swings, swings and misses than you did in your first opportunity. That's playing. doubtful because a mannequin can't swing. Coming up in about fifteen minutes or so, that was kind of the point. We'll get into the Whoa. BK and Ferrario rewind. But next six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service Tax Line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go here on one hundred and one ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario
0: podcast
1: presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN.
5: Out at that
0: It's time for one's got to go. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. But first, I got to tell you about our friends over at Big League Impact. They're get, they have an event coming up called Swinging for Impact. It's Sunday evening, June 12th. It's at Topgolf. If you've ever dreamed of golfing with your Saint, favorite St. Louis Cardinals player, even maybe BT, from what I understand, is going to be at this event. Well, he would be Join one Adam Wainwright and Cardinal Tommy player. Edmund for an evening of competition alongside your favorite Cardinals players, all in support of the Big League Impact, supported by Anna and Matt McDonald's RTP Outdoors and by your local independent Air American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning dealers. Get all the details for this year's Swinging for Impact now over at 101ESPN.com. One of these days, I'm going to get go, that done correctly. Well, the problem is it's going to be over by the time you're ready to get it done. One's got to go. one got to go. Barbecue Meat Edition. Tanner, this is going to be a tough one for you. Brats? Hot dogs. Hot dogs are meat. Rib tips. Don't tell me oh, what they are. Or, or wings. Chicken oh, wings. is easy. Rib tips. Hot dogs or brats. I'm going hot dogs yeah,
3: it's here. Hot dogs. It's not meat. It's whoa, just pieces whoa. of pig that's put together. <laughs> it's disgusting. I if can't. I got the choice between a bratwurst and a hot dog, I'll take the bratwurst. Oh, I, I Totally get, with
0: Alex on this one.
8: I can't believe that. I I, I think mine would be the rib tips. You got to keep it brought. that's the actual best
0: part of the
3: meat yeah, out of all of these wings. options?
8: Get rid of the rib tips. You can't get rid of the hot dogs. That's an you're American a, classic. You're,
3: you're a rib tip.
0: I don't know
8: One's what One's got to
0: go. It's a compliment because I love rib tips. St. Louis Sports 2022 edition. The Blues win the Stanley Cup. The Cardinals Blues win the Blues. World Series. Oh, that's sting. Pools gets to 700. Okay. Or Ueno and Yachty break the record for battery mates. Oh, man. I'll go first. Yeah. See who you hate first. <laughs> if you say the Blues, I might. We might, no, we might end you. Flags fly forever. Whoa. The Blues win the Cup. Cars win the World Series. Those have got to stay. Those Absolutely. are the necessary ones. Getting to 700 home runs is special, man. So Pools gets to 700 this year. I- the one that's got to go for me yeah. is Wayno and Yato, Yachty getting the battery record. They are both going to have so many individual accomplishments by the time this thing is done, and they already have the team wins record. Like, there is so much that's already there for the two of them. I think that's the one that I would have to get rid of. I have, the exact, Out of these four options.
3: I have the exact same reasoning behind it. Those guys already are going to have their name implemented in Cardinals history and MLB history. One's going into the Hall of Fame. I think the other might get there. But, man, Albert Pujols hitting 700, and if there's a chance he could do that in St. Louis, oh, yeah, that's got to stay. So I hate to do it, but that's the the Yachty and Wena one's got to go.
8: Uh, I'm with you guys. I, I hate to do it, but you got to get rid of the Yachty and Wena one, in my opinion, just because mm-hmm. 700 home runs is such a – Special accomplishment that it'd be cool to see Albert do it, especially the fact of the story where he got a lot here, left, and then came back would be able to finish it off. So it it has to be Yachty and Waino that would go.
0: One's got to go summer weekend trip edition, going to an amusement park, a float trip, hiking trip, or going to a sporting event. One's got to go summer weekend trip edition, sporting event, hiking, float trip, or an amusement park. All four of these sound awful. I'd love to just <laughs> really? stay home really? not do anything really? if that's allowed. <laughs> you don't uh, like float trips? Are I, I you used, even a
3: Missourian? I used to love float trips, but then I, I've seen too many videos of, of snakes underneath people okay, on float trips. So I think that one's got to go because nothing is enjoyable if I'm sitting there panicking what's underneath me the entire time. I can handle the amusement park. That's always enjoyable. Hiking trips, like i got to have the right day for it, but it would be fun. Um, and then, of course, the sporting event. But yeah, the float trip is—it's uh, got to go. For I can find a way to drink
0: elsewhere. For me, it's the hiking. I, I could yeah, go I'm without with the hiking. I've, you're it, a runner, though, man. Uh, yeah, which I, I would rather go on a run. Like, if you're telling me I can go on a trip to go on a run, like a, a race in. He's more of a Peloton
8: wherever, guy. He's, he's yeah, running. Yeah. He's right. really kind of. If you're telling me I go on a run, away run, from run it. For
0: forty-five minutes
3: in my basement in front of a TV screen, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Uh, that, that's the one that I've, I would get rid of.
8: I, the, these you. other things all
0: involve drinking.
8: Yeah, <laughs> and, and hiking's more, of, in my opinion, more. of a fall or spring park. thing.
0: Yeah. Have you ever been to an amusement park well, Yeah, but I'm already going to vomit probably on the ride,
3: so why do I need more alcohol?
8: <laughs> but I, it's definitely the hiking for me, because hiking, I view more as a spring or fall thing. I don't want to be hiking when it's like 100 degrees outside and do that for a weekend. That's why I'd rather do the float trip, the amusement park, or the sporting event. Yeah, let me know when you get a snake that slithers up your I'm not going to think about it, man. I'm going to be... Drinking and not worried.
0: That's even worse. Then you fall in and the thing freaking bites you. One's got to go grill edition oh. a gas pellet, green egg, Weber.
3: So so explain to me a little bit what the green egg is because I've never used one and I always just thought it was like a, a charcoal grill. So
0: I don't have one. These gentlemen behind us might have a green egg. Do either of nope, you guys nope, have a green nope egg grill? Nope. nope. All right, okay. we're 0 for 3. I don't really know. I think it's like a half grill. Like you can use it as a grill or a smoker. That's my best understanding of it. Yeah, I think it like keeps in the heat better, but I'm not totally positive on okay. that, man. I'm, you guys know, I'm a beta boy, so I, I don't know.
3: That is true. Could be. I prefer fit. soy milk. Uh, yeah, I'll get uh, I'll get rid of the the green egg then, because I don't know much about it.
8: I'm kind of. I would love either. to have a
0: green egg and learn how Same. to use a green egg. Oh yeah, but. I guess that's true. Um, I, I have a propane. I so would get I've rid of the gas grill. I would rather out vo- of the Not two really. between the gas but or the Weber, it's, it's I would easy. rather have the Weber.
3: That's why I would keep the, the, the propane, good. though. Well, I get it, but it's easy like last night. So I was making barbecue chicken for my my wife, myself, and my daughter. And, like, I had 30 minutes to get this food. Careful my bet. Baby-
0: Alex uh, or Stalter once uh, caught his grill on fire by using that,
3: as did Jamie, Jamie Did Rivers. too. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh two for two sorry guys uh well i just had to get it done quick because my baby was about to uh lose her ish so i had to get barbecue chicken done really fast and took me 15 minutes like i need that in my life that's fair. so i'm gonna have to keep that one so i'd love to learn how to use a green egg but i think the green egg would probably have to go
8: i'm with you i i just don't know a whole lot about it so that would be the only reason i have to get rid of it. i would love to learn to do one i i don't mind the gas grill though because i like what alex saying basically just fire that thing on and boom you're ready to yeah, go you
3: can put your pork intestines on there and yeah. uh, call itself dinner
8: mm, Yeah.
0: alongside alex ferrario and tanner hendrix and i'm brandon Kiley. the bk and ferrario rewind is next we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast
1: presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
0: Tanner Hendricks tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley if you've missed anything from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page it's all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers time to hit the rewind going into game number six tonight alex tanner and myself will have pregame coverage with you coming up at six o'clock and that's where we end today's show is with our final thoughts uh but before we get into the pregame later on tonight of course of what we're expecting in tonight's game, Alex, when Craig Berube makes a big decision, like a lineup change like we are seeing today with Alexi Toropchenko bumping up to that third line, that's something that I hone in on because typically those are the kinds of feel that he has within a series and they tend to pay off more often than not. Braden Shin has six points in his last seven games. He's done so quietly, he doesn't have any goals yet, but he does have six points in his last seven games. Kairu has three goals in the last five games of this series so far. Alexi Torpchenko is consistently generating offense when he's been on the ice, albeit in limited ice time. That's about to increase tonight. I think that's the line that gets going. In the last game, you saw the Thomas line finally starting to get those offensive opportunities, and they capitalized on them. I think Braden Shin scores his first goal of the series tonight. I think you see Alexi Toropchenko uh, having a significant impact, and you notice him regularly when he is out there on the ice, and I think it could open up some opportunities for that shot that we've seen from Jordan Cairo this year as well. I really like that line to be the one that gets things going offensively tonight after what we saw in game play.
3: I like it. I'm not even going to pick a line with this one. I'm going to go to the goaltender because I think that's what this game's going to come down to. It's got to be a Villy Husso show for the Blues to force a game 7 because Colorado's going to be coming out pissed off because of what took place. Colorado knows that they don't want to go back for a game 7 where road teams have had success all series long. You need Villy Husso in this one. I expect a first period push by Colorado. That's where I think I think you're going to need him at his best. He's going to have to make a couple of saves that Jordan Bennington was making in the Minnesota in the start of this Colorado series. I think if we're talking about a victory tonight, we're talking about Ville Huso having one of his best performances since his shutout against Minnesota.
8: I'm with you 100%. I think there's a big game from Huso tonight. And also, kind of to that, I think you're going to see a good game from the defenseman again. I think Falk plays really well again tonight, now that he's with Scandela from last game as well. Letty and Preco, I think they're going to have big games. And I expect the Ryan O'Reilly line to do a good job of shutting down. Yeah, McKinnon. I don't expect us to be talking about a McKinnon in game six. Uh, just because just have we the not talking match-ups. About a oh, That's another good point, too. But I, I like the O'Reilly. I think O'Reilly will match up now they can get those matchups. I think his line will be able to shut down McKinnon this time around. I don't expect a hat trick. I honestly won't expect a goal for McKinnon in this game today. I think the Blues will get back to shutting them down. They they allowed that one game that was kind of that outburst. They're able to win. They'll get back to their defensive mindset, shut down that line, and then you can build from there and hopefully your secondary scoring can beat the Colorado Avalanche's secondary scoring.
0: Yeah, that, that's something they're going to need. They need a big game out of Husso as well. I, I mean, the Colorado Avalanche are really good. And so you're going to need an all-around team win for this one. And um, I, we heard it earlier today from Connor McGahee, and I know a few people on a text line got frustrated with him saying this, but I, I think what he said is true. Said, you know, the abs, the way that they've lost in this series as far as when they have hurt themselves, when they have had those turnovers or they get hemmed into their own zone and they're not getting through the neutral zone well, they're getting off of that forecheck that they had that has been really freaking impressive when it's been at its best in the series. And when they get away from that stuff, that's when the Blues have been able to take advantage. He's absolutely right, but the same thing is kind of true in reverse. Mm-hmm. When the Blues are at their best on the forecheck, they look really good. When they are doing the cycle game that they have in the offensive zone, it looks excellent. When they get away from those things, when they have the turnovers in their own zone, that's when the abs have been able to capitalize. That's when you get the odd man rushes going in the other direction, and Husso gives up a goal that he wants to have back. So I, it's going to be whoever is able to take advantage of the most opportunities that they get from the other team. This has That's to, how this game's going to be won or lost.
3: This has to be a clean game. And, I mean, what he said about the Avalanche is the exact same thing you can say about the Blues. Turnovers have been the reason that the Blues have had success, and it's been the reason that they fell in games. So uh, it, this is going to come down to playing a, a clean style, and I think that benefits the Blues because they've got more consistency back with Justin Falk. And we talked about that yesterday. Scandella with Falk is really beneficial. Meikle and Bortuzzo have played very well. And then it just comes down to the forwards. If we're playing a five-man pack unit like Craig Bruby has said that's where the success comes from
0: Blues have been outshot in the first period 33 to 12 in the last two games against the Colorado Avalanche got to have a better start than that tonight we will be back with you guys coming up at six o'clock for pregame for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kylie. we're technically slated to be off on Monday if the Blues come back and win tonight and they win on Sunday. We'll do a one-hour show for you guys live on Monday morning from 11. Oh, a little Memorial Day special to recap whatever happens over the weekend. So stay updated on that. If the Blues win, we'll be with you at 11 o'clock on Monday. If not, we'll have a best-of show, and we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Have a great and safe Memorial Day weekend this weekend. We'll talk to you guys coming up at 6. The Lane is coming up next. Cheer on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN.
1: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers
0: on 101
1: ESPN.
0: A good story helps us understand the world and how to make it better. That idea drives what we do on the Daily News podcast Post Reports.
8: We bring you stories that empower people.
6: You know this is a fraud, right? Why are you calling
8: people doing this? and that hold powerful people accountable. Wait, you did what? We had
0: to sue your office twice to get our hands on these documents. My name is Martine Powers. I co-host the show. Take the trusted reporting of The Washington Post wherever you go.
3: Follow and listen to Post Reports.